0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Tasting Anarchy Christmas Extravaganza. We end up getting so much recorded that it was like four or five hours long, so I decided to split this all up into a Christmas Eve episode and then a part two that I'll release on Christmas. These aren't in in order of when they were recorded, so I I think a couple of times I say, welcome to guest number two or guest number one or whatever, and uh, that's not the order I put them in. I decided to just kind of order them however i want so merry christmas and i hope you guys enjoy the show tasting anarchy your wine and liberty podcast join mason and jake each week as they try new wines and discover how much government is in your drink Welcome to a fantastic holiday episode of Tasting Anarchy. I guess this will be our introduction section from the other parts of the show uh, that we have coming up. Uh, mm-hmm. We, we recorded the other parts earlier, but I figured that we would just use uh, today's episode to kind of do the intro.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, wish everybody a happy holiday, I guess. Yeah. So uh, I guess while before we get started you sipping on anything tonight or you want to let anybody know about any sort of intoxicating substances that are now part of your, uh, repertoire. Uh,
2: so I had, uh, the last of the Savion Blanc in our Kroger series. Okay. So I had that, but my brother also brought like a Mendoza, um, Malbec to the family party we had last night. Um, so I had some of that. I had some Albeck. I had two uh, cow catchers from Smart Mouth today, and I've had uh, two gummies from uh, Empire Direct on their uh, Stoner Patch series. So
0: I want to try Martin those. Tops. Tops. Yeah. They were out of they were out of uh, out of stock when I looked before, because like and that actually sounds like something we'd be kind of fun to have around the house.
2: They're hit or miss, so it's like sometimes one is like enough and sometimes two is like barely enough. And then sometimes three doesn't really do anything. And then other times like two is just like not too much. It's not like, uh, that, you know, black magic adventure that we had that one time, but it's enough where you're like, yeah, like this, this isn't what I was looking for. So like I was looking for like a general relaxant, kind of like how CBD is supposed to be. Um, yeah, and this is close, but no cigar. so I mean, like okay. it, it's definitely not bad, but like it, it's so hit or miss. I'm like, like, do you guys sell it in pill form where you can like specifically dose it because that's always the problem with gummies and those sort of things is yeah, it's it's a nearly impossible to dose, and that
0: that's kind of my my one frustration is like I guess that makes sense. yeah, this
2: should be and and you know, it's like you and I kind of like. We both have this like expectation of things being, it's like, it's a business. They should know what they're doing to a point. Like obviously, you know, all businesses fail at some point we get it. But like generally, like at least in my worldview, it's always been like, they're a business. They clearly know how to make their product. And then I get the product and I'm like, this is fantastic. And then I had a few more and I'm like, nope, this is hit or miss.
0: I <laughs> yeah. should <have> known. <laughs> Well, I mean, and you and I had that experience with lots of different things in the past mm-hmm uh, like the black magic as far as like the drug stuff goes, yeah. that that seems to be very common, but you know, in the, in the wine world, that could be common too. It's not necessarily between bottle and bottle, but between vintages, it can be very different.
2: Correct. And and like one of the things that's always weird about wineries is like, you get like Robert moldavi like Moldal where he's like his name's on it and he right. does a lot to make it kind of something, but you know, it's like, um, Haslett Vineyards the um Popcat guys uh yeah yep like the it's not like you're specifically buying it because it is a Bobby Joe Frank as the as the person you know like hey this is like I'm buying it because it's this person you're buying it because it's a winery you know and so like you know if they change winemakers like they could see something completely different in a few years and it's like hard to know why? You know what I mean? Like it's like, wait, what changed? Like what? How did this happen? So,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess You know what's interesting is I had uh, today the uh, the 2017 vintage of one of my favorite cab. Uh, or no, twenty no, twenty seventeen. I had the twenty seventeen today. Previously, I had the 2016 of, uh, I don't know if I pronounce it correctly, but it's uh, Matri de Chai. Uh, so I'm going to spell it because I can never pronounce French stuff. Uh, <laughs> but it's uh, M A I T R E space D E and then C H A I. So uh, Matre de Chai or Matri de Chai, maybe. Not yeah, sure which
2: something like that.
0: I've got no idea. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's. I really like, especially their 2016. I really liked. Um, I so I got their 2017. It's a little bit different, but it actually has a lot of notes that you and I appreciate, like that black pepper flavor, which is a little mm. bit unusual for a Loire. Um, and it's inexpensive. It's it's a it's a fifteen dollar bottle of wine at Total Wine. Uh, Victoria and I went over there yesterday because. Mm-hmm she had this uh raspberry wine at the uh, korean um you know the korean grill what do you, what do you call yeah, it bar- korean barbecue yeah. yeah korean barbecue and uh we went there with my my work and um while she was there they got this uh, korean raspberry wine and she liked it a lot. It was way too sweet. It, it actually reminded me a lot of uh, my my old favorite, the Chateau Le Caben. Uh, <laughs> th- those those fruit wines that yeah, I used to yeah. really like a lot. Now it's just like they're too sweet. But um, we decided to stop on the way home at Total Wine, and they didn't have that, but they did have a couple of things I wanted to try. And also, I you know when I'm there and I'm just going ahead to pick up some stuff for myself, I I usually grab a bottle of Cab Franc and they happen to have a vintage that I hadn't tried before of this particular one. And this one is really good. Um, the, I think the previous vintage was better, but mm-hmm. this one is, is still good. It's uh, like I said, it's from Loire, France. Um, this one reminds me a lot of the Cab Franc that I had at Greenhill uh, Green Hill Winery in Virginia. Um, when, you know, remember, well, you weren't there, but I went there with Nate and his mm-hmm. dad. Yeah. Uh, a while ago. And that one had like a super, super buttery flavor, which from my understanding is from new Oak. Um, in a cab, this one in a cab sob. Yeah. Cab franc, Oh, cab franc, cab franc. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, a, like it, a, it had a, a very like that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's interesting. It had that very extreme butteriness to it, uh, which I really thought was a great match for this, but this one doesn't have the butteriness. The, the one from green Hill, had that, uh, this one though, uh, lower tannins, but still tannic, not, not like a Cab Sov, but, uh, lower tannins, uh, pretty acidic, uh, not, not super aggressive acidity, but pretty good acidity. Um, and, uh, sort of reminds me of like cranberry juice, I guess, but it's, it's not as strong as like that cranberry flavor. Uh, and then there's, um, like this, uh, like a, like a Herbal flavor to it, and then the pepperiness is what I like the best. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it has just that nice, delicate mouthfeel that a lot of Cab so- like Cab Francs, have. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it really a, a good a good wine for the winter. It's it's uh, warming, and uh, I enjoy it quite a bit. And since it's Christmas, it's a perfect Christmas drink.
2: Yeah, that that sounds pretty awesome. Like, uh, yeah,
0: did, I, did, I, did, I, did I say the alcohol percentage? No, you did not. Oh, Twelve point five, which is nice. low low for a red wine. So, yeah, low no. for low for compared to like American red wines that but I drink. a exactly. lot Exactly.
2: So. Yeah. So, like, uh, we had a. Um, so my wife made a uh, pot, uh, not a pie, but um, a punch for the party we had last night. So, you know, that's like a booze festival. And then um, we ended up also, like, while well, I went to Total Wine to get our friend. Um, Lisa, a Christmas gift or birthday gift. Cause her birthday was a couple days ago. Um, I got her the, uh, Horton, uh, feely. Oh,
0: record, uh, rec- yes. scaly. Rec- yeah. Our uh, cat as, yeah.
2: as we will just R-cat, call it yeah. easier. Um, yeah. So I got her one of those. So hopefully she enjoys it. Um, and then I got a, um, I got a dessert wine from Williamsburg winery, which I'm super pumped about, but I also got a, like raspberry combination mead like uh oh, from virginia okay. like the silver
0: that's like the the viking's blood was i think oh no that was cherry i think yeah so blood. like yeah,
2: yeah this is this is like a virginia based uh, meadery too it's like oh, okay. uh, some silver bee or something like that it was really interesting so i got oh, I got the uh
0: the- i took a tour of that uh, cidery yeah there's wait is it a cidery or a meadery silver bee I think I took a tour of that.
2: Well, it has a silver bee on it. Like, I don't know if that's the name, but yeah, something like that. So. Uh,
0: is it from Richmond? I don't have that much information. <laughs> okay, hold on, hold on. I got I to gotta look this up now because I did take a tour of one that was really cool. Uh, Richmond. Richmond Cidery. Let's see. Nope, mine was blue bee, not silver bee.
2: Yeah, well, this is this just has. Uh, hang on a second,
1: uh, Virginia,
2: uh, fudge. <laughs> I tried like searching it, and yeah, okay. it be, I think it. I think it is a mead. Now that you think about it, okay.
0: So the the cidery is what I was thinking of. Yeah. I, I don't I don't know if they do meat or not, but yeah, that w- that was a fun tour that I did. I did it with my uh younger sister when she was uh she got stuck. She tried to fly out of Charlottesville to somewhere and the flight got canceled or something weird like Mhm. So actually I drove her from Virginia Beach when I lived at the Betsy Ross house. I drove her from there to Charlottesville. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Then just because I was a little bit concerned, I waited in the parking lot for like 30 minutes. She messaged, okay, you can leave now. I, I start going back down to Virginia Beach. And then maybe 30 or 40 minutes later, she messaged and goes, never mind. They canceled the flight. Can you come back up?
1: <laughs>
0: and <laughs> uh, and so I, I came back up and she's like, okay. So they switched me. And this was like really early in the morning. So she's like, they switched me to a flight out of Hampton. Mm-hmm. Um uh what's the, the airport there? Is uh
2: It's the Williamsburg Newport News regional airport.
0: Yeah, so they switched her to that airport to fly like to like Baltimore or somewhere like that, and then from Baltimore to Hawaii. Mm-hmm. And uh and so I went up and got her, but we had like eight or nine hours to kill. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, it's obviously, it's not that far down to that airport. So I was like, well, we're up here anyways, let's stop on the way back in Richmond, go to the cidery and do a cider tasting. And then we'll go to the legend brewery, which was next door. Mm-hmm. And it's a restaurant also. Yeah, Um, and it was pretty good restaurant actually. They had good burgers and, uh, they had like the seasoned sweet potato fries, which I like a lot. And, um, so we went, we went on tour on the cidery, which was really cool. And then we went over to the – I don't know why I'm telling this story when this is supposed to be a Christmas episode. <laughs> it has nothing <laughs> to do with that. But we went over there. We we had and, – and I like Legend. I think they have very good beer. Yeah, they or, got good I, brown ale for sure. Yeah, good brown ale. They have a couple of other good ones that were that were specific to that location. And then we ended up taking – and I took her down to the airport. But – uh, yeah, I mean, it was, you know, you got a whole bunch of time to kill. What are you going to do? And you end up just <laughs> going to whatever's around, and that's yeah. what is around.
2: Yeah, so this is a Silverhand Meadery. Uh um, oh, Silverhand, okay. This is Raspberry Passion, is there the mead specifically. And they're like out of Williamsburg, which is cool. So, yeah. the Raspberry Passion is a two-handed... Arpeggio, arpeggio between raspberry and passion fruit. A virtuoso fusion of sweet and tart flavors that flow as smooth as a guitar solo cranked up to eleven. Boldly, be still and savor what is good. Pairs well with lemon cake, vanilla ice cream, and chocolate cheesecake.
0: So, you know the apartment complex I lived in before the one I currently live in mm-hmm. uh, was called I mean, the House U. <laughs> Well, I, I live in my office, so it's, it's kind of like an apartment. Oh, I got you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, uh, no, but, uh, yeah, the, but the the apartment complex I lived in was, was, was called the the arpeggio.
2: Oh, okay. That that, yeah. that makes sense. That's funny. Yeah. But
0: yeah, so um,
2: you know, like I'm a I'm a you know me, like I'm a big kind of impulse buyer, and like I was looking for stuff, and like this is in a 500 milliliter bottle. Um, mm-hmm. so I was like, okay, well, I, I'll get this for Ashley because like she asked for something specific. For uh, like Christmas, and I got her that, but I was like, I want to get her something like that I found, and then I saw that, and I was like, this is Virginia. It's this is interesting. Ashley likes mead. Uh, she likes raspberry. She doesn't dislike passion fruit. This will be worth it. Yeah. And it was a in a 500 milliliter bottle, and I was like, oh, that's that's an impulse buy. So yeah, yeah. And then, like for me, I'll get this Williamsburg like uh, dessert wine, which no one else will like. But they also had like a, like at the, at Total Wine here, speaking of like kind of wintry stuff and kind of more closer to Christmas, they had an ice wine from the Finger Lakes region. And like, I just looked at like how much I was already spending and I was like, can't justify it, but like, this will be interesting to talk to Jacob about.
0: Yeah, I think that sounds pretty good. Yeah, I was like, oh man,
2: like this would be something we totally would, would get
0: together. Yeah, I mean, because what's interesting is like I've never been super crazy about mead, but then when I, I and actually I have several bottles of it in the fridge still of Agora's, uh, Agora's mm-hmm. mead, I, I, a lot of those like they weren't my favorite thing ever as far as like wines and stuff go, but I, and it may be because I've gotten into wines, I appreciated the overall complexity.
1: Mm-hmm. more than I used to
0: mm-hmm. like when you when you guys used to get that um uh the uh what the vikings blood I think was this one which I only got that once it. or twice yeah I remember trying it and just being like Ugh, this yeah, is disgusting
2: I mean like personally vikings blood is not good in my opinion but there okay. are several meads that I do enjoy right. um so but yeah like no I totally agree <laughs> it's like You know, mead's one of those things where it's like, I like this, and I really did like what Agora did. Um, but it's also one of those things where, like, I don't really like honey. So I'm kind of like, I'm not going out of my way for this. But then it's like, same thing with kombucha. Like, I don't really drink, um, like tea, but I love kombucha. So, right.
0: Yeah. And, uh, I think it was a, it's a good, um, yeah, you're you know, that's actually a really good comparison. Kombucha and tea. If you're not a huge tea although I do really like tea and I drink a lot of it, but if you're not like a huge tea drinker, mm-hmm. then kombucha doesn't necessarily sound appetizing, but it 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 can be because it's more it's more like a uh it's more like almost like apple juice. Uh, Mm -hmm. A lot of times, like it's, it's more of like an appley flavor. So uh, anyways, yeah. And this, but that's, that's, uh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm, I'm rambling a bunch, but, uh. of that
2: that all makes total sense to me personally. So, yeah. yeah.
0: Mm. All right. Well, uh, let's go ahead and let's move on to the Christmas segment and then we'll do the news article. We'll do kind of a quick Christmas segment. So before we got started, you were telling me. Something you were looking forward, to. I don't know if you want to share it or not, but um, what are you most looking forward to this Christmas? Now, you've got a kid, so Christmas is a little bit more exciting than for, for me, but uh, <laughs> but I think <laughs> that, uh,
2: yeah. Uh, so, I don't know what specifically you're referencing, so maybe like I'm just losing it, but- um, The Barbie
0: thing. Oh,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like we got my, uh, my daughter the uh, full-on Barbie dream house, so- it's like four stories and it has like working elevators in it and like lights and stuff. So um, it's this massive box and like, you know, my house is small and my wife and I like, you know, we may get each other like three combined gifts for like, or, you know, like, so we get like, so she gets like a specific gift. I get a specific gift. And like this year we're buying like a new bedroom set. Uh, mm-hmm. For like our joint gift, but like with our daughter, like we don't have a lot of space in the house. I mean, it's only like a thirteen hundred square foot house for three people. I mean, that's not like a little amount of space, but it's also not a huge amount of space given like how weird the layout of the house is functionally. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like we got her this. We always like to get her like one or two gifts because like we know the family is going to go out of out of their mind because like on my side, she's the only grandkid, and then on mm-hmm. my wife's side. She's the youngest grandkid. So like and she's probably the last grandkid before great grandchildren. So, you know, she's gets super spoiled and so we know she's just gonna get a bunch of stuff, but like
0: Is Ashley the youngest? Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. For some reason I thought she was uh, older.
2: No, no, no. So Ashley has a ten year older sister and a five year older sister.
0: Okay. So she's actually the youngest by quite a bit.
2: Yeah, so her stepdad has an adopted daughter. Um, so and there, we're all like, I think she's the adopted stepdaughter is like older than all of us, but like less than a year or she's like, I might be older than her, but Ashley's not, you know, it's something like that where it's like, um, her step sister is the same age, but like, you know, who knows if she'll settle down. It's kind of like with my siblings.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
2: But yeah, so she's, you know, just the like pure magic of her opening that thing is going to be once she like figures out, like once it sinks in what it
0: is. Well, what's so funny about that too, is that like, it's such a, such a classic, uh, girl, kids gift. Mm-hmm. You know, like this is like the Barbie dream house, I think has been around since before you and I were born for, not, yeah. you know, not necessarily this specific one, but like the, uh, I, I mean, that like Barbie is such an interesting thing to me. Be, and the reason is because we, uh, my sisters were not allowed to play with Barbie. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mom thought it was, um, inappropriate. Actually, I think, I think actually it was my dad who thought it was inappropriate. Hmm. Uh, and, and as adults, they don't think so anymore. Now they're kind of like, well, that was a little bit of an overreaction. Uh, but they just thought it was, you know, not sexualizing children exactly, but, uh, well, then it was just like too, materialization
2: there's like yeah weirdness to the barbie like yeah no i totally i totally can understand yeah. that.
0: well but now but now they're kind of like now they feel differently about it now they're kind of like well this is actually a lot more wholesome than a lot of it like uh, uh, well i guess it would be compa- in comparison like a lot more wholesome than like Bratz or um what's the what's the newest one that is that's making everybody insane because it's really inappropriate um there's a there's a new Bratz. It's actually I think from the same company who does the Bratz toys. I, I, the only reason I know about all these is because I worked at Toys R Us for so long. <laughs> but there was that uh, there was Bratz was like the big controversy when I worked at Toys R Us. Huh. And then uh, because they all look like sluts, kind of. They, they they're all they're like way more scantily clad than Barbie. They are uh, they got like the giant lips. They're more boobs and butts than Barbie. Yeah, and
2: they're they're for a more urban demographic, Jacob.
0: Uh, well exactly that's what they're for and then there's a new thing uh that is um i'm trying to remember what it's called it's but it's from the same maker as brass but it's like even worse and they're all toddlers all the to- all the figures i have not heard of this thank goodness. yeah them. it's i'm trying to remember what it's called uh the it, libertarian jake was telling me about it um man i cannot remember what it's called but it's like uh it's a you know, doll uh, it's, oh man, this is going to bug me because <laughs> it's not trolls. It was, um, it's not a troll stall. It, it's, uh, I'm trying to remember what it's called. Dang it. This is going to bug me until I can find it it's just like brats but they're all like toddlers so LOL's surprise that's it lol dolls that's it yeah the lol dolls and uh yeah the lol dolls uh yeah so apparently like this is ca- causing a huge stink and a lot of it has to do with like the choices by the manufacturers to put holes in particular places on the dolls Oh, okay um, which is that's what's very controversial about this one. But it's also they're all, they all have, they're all, they look like babies basically, but they just have slutty clothes. And it's that same demographic as people who traditionally would have bought Barbie or when, you know, when you and I were young twenties, brat dolls was very popular. So, so it's interesting to me, like the, the different controversies as they go through, because like when I was a kid, and my sisters were kind of the age where they would play with Barbies. My mom was like, nah, they're too, they're too adult or they're they're too adult themed. Like, I don't like that. It's, it's like, I don't, I don't like that they're it's like shopping at the mall Barbie or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, they like, they didn't like that, but then like we got a little bit older and my mom is okay with it now for like my uh, nieces, but the Bratz dolls and the LOL dolls are the bad ones. So it's, it's, it's interesting how that sort of stuff progresses to me. Like I never thought one way or the other, other because it just wasn't my, you know, I'm a dude. <laughs> like it wasn't it, nobody. There was no controversy around GI Joe as far as I'm aware. Um, yeah, there was plenty of
2: controversy around GI Joe. Okay, well, just the violence, like because uh, I cartoon. guess yeah, yeah, the violence. Yeah,
0: that's right. And actually, and the and the, the cartoon, which was interesting, had like uh like they shot lasers at each other and not mm-hmm. bullets, which I thought was always, yeah. So I guess there was that controversy, and it just didn't, didn't occur to me because that's what I was allowed to play with.
2: Mm.
1: Uh,
0: yeah. So I don't know, but that's a good thing to look forward to is uh, your daughter playing with her new Barbie Dream House. I think that'll be fun. Yeah, and all the other stuff that she'll get. <laughs> yeah. Do you guys do you guys uh, experience like having too many toys?
2: Yeah. So like this is the like this is like my, my perennial um, issue is so I'm in the study and I've got a like train set behind me. And then her big gift last year was a like kid's kitchen set, which she's the perfect age for right now, but it's in this side room. So she doesn't play with it as much as she would, but she's got 11 Barbies and some of them are like, dollar store Barbies, but she just treats them the same, which is great. And then like my sister for her birthday, got her a, um, like the bar, you know, like, like the Barbie RV, but like, imagine the RV that like, um, like the biggest rock band travels on for like tour. Like it's just yeah. this massive RV. And then she's got a tent in our living room where my, my, mother-in-law got her a tent. So that's her Barbie palace. But like, she's got this kitchen set in here. We've got this bar like train set. And then her room is just full of stuffed animals and other toys. And I'm like, I like, I know I had a lot of toys as a kid, but I feel like this is excessive because like, there's probably 30 stuffed animals on her bed. And she's got like a box of them under her bed and her bed has built in bookshelves. And like, obviously books aren't the same thing. Like I would you know spend any money on books. That's fine. But like, she has a crap ton of books and all these toys. <laughs> so, right, so it's yeah. like, oh my goodness. Well,
0: Who and I wonder, I wonder if this is like a, um, not to what well, there, there's a dog's not to, uh, make it a, uh, not to make it like a, I'm trying to think of the right word for it. But well, let me describe the situation then you can can kind of, you can tell Mm -hmm. me. So my parents thought I had too many toys and and in comparison to them, I did have way more toys and their parents complained about them having too many toys. (laughs) And in comparison, they had it. Is this a sign of prosperity or is this a sign of inflation? Where, well, maybe it wouldn't be inflation. Maybe it would be toy deflation Mm -hmm. because now toys are so cheap that you can get a bajillion of them, and it's like eh, whatever. But like when my grandparents were young, like getting a toy was really a special thing, and, and it was an expensive item. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know they got you know so there were some basic things like a bear, like a teddy bear or like uh, tin soldiers or something like that. You could, and those were pretty inexpensive. But like the amount of toys that we have, like even I probably in my house right now I have more toys in my house than my grandparents had growing up.
2: Well, there's two things to look at. I think it's a function of deflation and also life expectancy mm-hmm. because like, and this is like the, you know, like teen 2.0, like I haven't read the book, but it's kind of like talks about this. It's like we, it's like the infant, infantization of our society, like mm-hmm. you don't get off your parents' health insurance until you're 26.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Why, why is that that number? Why isn't it eighteen? and it it's so like I think back in the day, grandparents had a lot more toys than people think, but it's like they had a straw doll that didn't yeah live more than you know seven weeks and then it's gone. Right. So yeah, the manufactured toy was few and far between, but like they still had plenty of toys. but like also, yeah. you know, when you had to go to work on the farm, for 10 hours a day during the peak farm season, you know, cause like they, they always overestimate how much kid, you know, people actually worked back then. Yeah. So they did work a lot, but like, you know, it, so they had less time to play with toys and you also have to remember like, and this is the thing that you and I talk about a lot. It's like, you know, it's what is it? Probably nine o'clock here. It's eight o'clock there. The sun's yeah. been down for three hours right up until if,
0: electricity you'd
2: been asleep so like yeah
0: and you know, and even it, even when the electricity was still kind of new it was it was yeah. I wouldn't say it was expensive but it was like a bulb is expensive so why yeah. would you keep it on all the time
2: yeah so you wouldn't have it on and like people didn't you know people went to sleep so like kids had toys but like you could also be you know hey you're going to play with a nickel And like, that's just a toy. It's a nickel. Like, that's what you're playing with. So like, I think it's like a, like a feature of deflation. And like, I think that's just like, it shows you how much the, um, like having money changes what you think you should do with money. Right. Cause like your great grandparents wouldn't have been thinking like, got an extra five bucks. I should buy Mary Jane a toy. They're like, I got an extra five bucks. I should buy another chicken. Right. That'll yeah. produce eggs. And that's, you know, we'll be ahead. So like, and I think that's the, like, so it's deflation, but like also like, it's also inflation. Cause it's like, we have so much time and we, we spend, we advertising is so strong to ca- cause people to, divert their precious resources into buying more stuff as opposed to like building new stuff like you know back in the day it's like oh you wanted to be a car like you were a car mechanic but you were trying to open your own shop like right. most people who are a car mechanic they they're very few people who weren't trying to become a businessman like in the 20s yeah so like doesn't mean people ever like moved forward with it but like that's like the problem with like the rise of unions and stuff it's like it decreased people's want to better themselves because they were getting a one-up on other people but like the same thing with toys where it's just like oh yeah now we can like do things for kids and that's one of the things it's like so there was a a department store in michigan like detroit that was like 29 stories Mm
1: -hmm.
2: like what can you? What's the largest department store you've ever actually been in? Do you think, other than maybe Walmart? You know what um, I mean? Like,
0: yeah, I mean, Wal yeah, Walmart. Or I, I did go to well, it's not really a department store, but I went to the Big Toys R Us in New York uh, when Victoria and I were dating, just because I wanted to check it out because I used to work there,
1: mm-hmm.
0: which is huge. Uh, but uh, it's I would Walmart's probably bigger than that, actually. Yeah. yeah.
2: And maybe Costco. Yeah. Can can you imagine a 29 story tall, like biggest volume building in Detroit when it opened or like near Detroit, you know, it was like in that maybe St. Louis or something like that. And it's like a department store. And like, do you, did you ever watch a Christmas story? Like that movie they play on TVS for like 24 Mm -hmm. hours straight. Mm -hmm. And like how big toys were in the department store when they went and visited before Christmas. Mm-hmm. Like, so like, I think there was a certain point where like they we've got so rich, we could literally make a kid section. Whereas before they just move stuff. Away. Like they had a kid section, but like more of the store was taken over to capture kids spending, you know, cause that's the one time parents are buying them stuff other than their birthday.
0: Yeah, and, and my mom my mom used to talk about this too because when she was a little kid before Toys R Us and stuff, there was, um, it probably was at Macy's or somewhere like that where there was like, it was called like the big toy box or something like that. It was at a department store and during Christmas they just expanded it. So it was always like a big treat to be able to go to Sacramento or wherever it was and see this big toy section. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it got to the point and I think that you know Toys R Us is probably the a symptom of this is where the amount of toys because of prosperity it expanded so much that you could have stores like Toys R Us mhm where like and when you and I were kids like Toys R Us was the shit like it was the biggest coolest place that, well I don't know about you for me it was such a big deal to go to Toys R Us there was one in, in Sunrise uh, mm-hmm. near Sunrise Mall in um well, you, you might know where Sunrise is because uh, you lived out in that kind of general area. But uh, there was a Toys R Us at Sunrise Mall that uh, – I don't think it was in the mall. It was attached sort of outside to the mall. So it was in the same parking, shopping area. But uh, that was such a big deal to be able to go down there. And we we were never really able to buy anything there just because we didn't have any money. But uh, I do remember we went there for my birthday the year I got Toby, the dog, my dog Toby. Mm-hmm. Uh, and – I really wanted the Z, and I've told Victoria this story a bunch of times, so she's listening, she'll think it's funny. But uh, I wanted the Z-Bot. You, do you remember Z-Bots? So it was Micro Machines did these like little robots, basically. Yeah, I think I and know. So, maybe know what you're talking about. Yes, yeah, so I was super into those for one year. And we we went to the Toys R Us, and it was almost my birthday, and there was the Z-Bot. For, this was like one of the most pivotal points in my life for maturing. Mm -hmm. Uh, because they they had the Z-Bot Fortress. I really wanted it. And mom, there's like, I have actually two toy experiences that are like this, but, uh, mom was like, look, you can get the Z-Bot Fortress if you want, or you can get a dog. It's your choice. (laughs) And it was the, one of the hardest decisions I ever remember making. And I was like, I'll put the Z-Bot Fortress back. I'd rather have a dog. (laughs) <laughs> and and I just remember that being like a pivotal maturing standpoint or whatever where like I realized time preference to some degree. Mm-hmm. Where I was like the Z-Bot Fortress will end up like my Mighty Max Fortress where I really like it and play with it for a little while. Mm-hmm. But the dog will last for years. Like the, the only thing that I could think of that might have actually compared would be if I had bought Legos, that might have been a harder decision because Legos lasted forever. Mm-hmm. Because they, they, they can always be something different. Yeah. yeah. Whereas like the Z-Bot Fortress, it's set. it's That's what it is. And as long as you're into a Z-Bots, that's, that'll work. But then, you know, Z-Bots is like a – and it was one of the first times I recognized that Z-Bots was just cool for then <laughs> and, uh, and then there was a similar – maybe two or three birthdays after that. After I'd gotten the dog, I had saved up money to buy a Lego set. And I had one particular Lego set in mind. My dad took me to – Toys R Us or Target or somewhere like that. They didn't have it. And I had like a crisis of conscience where I they didn't have the Lego set I wanted, but they had this other Lego set that was mm-hmm. similar price and, and pretty cool also. Uh, and I remember my dad being like, you can buy that if you want, but it's not the one you wanted. And I remember just sitting there going like, it's not the one I wanted. If I spend this money, I won't have the money in the future when that the one I wanted is available. So I put it back and there was another one where I was like, this is like a, this is a Jacob starting to become a forward thinker to some degree. Like little kids don't do that. I don't think they they think a lot more about like what's going on right now.
2: They, they do and they don't. There's certain things like meals where they are very tied to that. And like my daughter, like, so somebody at the, my daughter's school tested positive. So Tuesday, Monday, and Tuesday they're supposed to be open this week, and then Monday and Tuesday of next week for the full day program. People are paying more money for them to be open as a daycare, right? And of course, they close. And I'm like, oh Enjoy. my goodness, yeah. yeah. So like, my mom is gonna watch her, and she was already gonna watch her for the two days and two days. Now she's just gonna
0: watch them for all eight, which is fine.
2: Um, But like,
0: your mom probably enjoys that,
1: yeah. At least agree.
2: <laughs> yeah. But like, so my daughter can really look forward to that. But then she'll also turn around and go and ask you, what day is it? And you're like, you told me when you got up, it was Sunday. And we told you that was correct. (laughs) How do you not know what day it is? And in her mind, you know, and like, I personally subscribe to the like, the day takes longer when you're a kid because Mm -hmm. you've lived less time. Like, yeah, yeah, that's
0: I, I believe in that. Like I'm super like that's one of the most interesting things about kids.
2: Yeah, I'm whole. I wholeheartedly believe that. And I know people have said, like, that's not like that's not how humans see things. But whatever.
0: How, how but, is that possible? Like, I, I, I challenge those people to fist- remember <laughs> back to their child. Yeah. Well, like, just remember back to your childhood. you were, like people like, well, you probably didn't experience this the way I did. Church was so long when I was a kid.
2: Oh, yeah. And no, now I if, remember if to church. Me, yeah.
0: Yeah. If somebody invites me to church now, I'm like, yeah, it's 45 minutes, whatever. Like, but as a kid, I was just like, oh my gosh, this is long.
2: Yeah. And I remember like just dreading school and like yeah. for how long I thought it was going to take. Like, I didn't, you know, wasn't like getting beat up or something. It was just like, oh, this is deep forever. But yeah. So, like, so that's the thing is just like, you know, so I can see that she's got that time preference, but like that's really interesting because for me as a kid, I was always intimidated by Toys R Us because it was so much bigger than KB Toys, which was in Lane Haven Mall.
0: Right. And they didn't have a KB in, in California near us. Yeah. Uh, that that was something I was introduced to when I started working at Toys R Us, and they were uh when I was collecting a lot of action figures for resale to pay for college. Mm -hmm. we we would always hit KB after after we knew exactly what was at Toys R Us. And then we would hit KB to see if they had some of the stuff that we needed to sell online. And then KB went out of business. Yeah. And I made a fortune on KB going out of business, (laughs) like a a minor fortune because like I, I had such a encyclopedic knowledge of what things cost on eBay at the time Mm -hmm. that like, as soon as it was announced that KB was going out of business showed up, everything was discounted immediately and just bought it all, sold it online for maybe twenty percent, thirty percent knock up, and uh, it was, uh, oh, it was a, it was a windfall for me. Yeah, it was. That was a good. Those were good times. But yeah, I, I, I always forget about KB because it was just not part of my.
2: Yeah, and then um, you worked at Toys Us. Yeah, so, yeah. Like, and that's the thing is, like, I like KB Toys was at Lynn Haven or Pembroke Mall, so like that was. Like within walking distance of my parents' first house. And, but like, I don't remember. Like, I know I liked going to the toy store, but I'll tell you what I liked even more going to Kmart as the toy store. Cause oh, interesting. it had less toys, but it always had what I wanted. And I, I was always like, I never bought like Legos. Okay, My parents tried to get me into Legos, but I was they got me Connects first. And like yeah,
0: you you said you were into Connects. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, I was
2: in into Connects and I bought more Connect sets from there, but I always wanted the roller coaster and they never got it for me, thank goodness, like I did not need that. But um so like I always wanted to go to Kmart because they had GI Joes.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: like I was too stupid as a kid to realize that like I think KB Toys also had GI Joes, but mm-hmm. like KB had because they were only a toy store you know they always had the newest like GI Joe line and right. things like that and like I don't know what I was looking for as a kid but like I was just like oh go to Kmart and it's like 599 for a, a GI Joe and like yeah. you know, I knew the price exactly but like had no idea what tax was <laughs> so like right. I never had enough money and like my parents always just bought it for me but like you know you're saying with like going in and getting that Lego set and like choosing not to get it because it wasn't what you wanted. And like, I don't remember being smart enough as a kid to even know what I had wanted. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like, Oh, I've been researching this set in some way, like looking at, you know, like something up until video games. And that's, well, you
0: know, I, I think, I think for me, a lot of that was because we had internet so early. Yeah. Uh, I was able to look up Lego, stuff. Lego Lego was present online really early. Yeah. And, uh, you could look up the set. So I was able to do like research and stuff at home and be like, you know, licking my lips, drooling, being like, <laughs> yeah, I, I really want this cowboy set that, cause I, they introduced that cowboy line, uh, with uh, gentleman, Jim and all those, all those figures and stuff like that. They introduced, introduced those in like 96 or 97. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I was really into those, the cowboy line. And, uh, that was after the knights. the knights was like their big one when I was real little. And then, yeah. and then they introduced this cowboy, the cowboy line, which was really cool. But
2: yeah. But um, I mean, like here, So like as a kid, like when we got internet and I was in third or fourth grade, I didn't really understand that you could look things up on the internet until like ninth grade. Like hmm. I knew the internet existed, but like, it didn't, you know, it was for talking to friends. It was yeah. for like downloading movies at certain points, but like the idea that you should get new information and find forums and stuff like that. No, <laughs> it's just like, I do a lot of Reddit now, but like I didn't have like big forum days Yeah, back in the We're, things.
0: Yeah. And I mean, that, that's interesting to me because the, And it's changed a lot. Like, you're actually much more of an internet person now than I am. Like, I just don't care that much about it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Other than Twitter, I guess Twitter is like the biggest thing for me, but like, I got real tired of Reddit and uh, don't really do that anymore. But like, what was interesting when I was a kid, I was really into the chat rooms, I was really into the forums and like anything that had, uh, gi joe or lego gi joe i was really into and then they had you know the knockoff gi joes the uh core toys uh c-o-r-p-s uh corpse or whatever i, I always called them no corpse idea. uh they, they, were they were they were basically let they were they were gi joe but they were a different brand mm-hmm. and, and they were almost as good as gi jokes ever their thumbs always broke off <laughs> so they couldn't hold the guns mm-hmm. really frustrating but uh because, like, from that sort of standpoint, as you had, is I grew up in the country. We're not going to get to any of the wine articles, by the way, today. Mm-hmm. We're just gonna we're gonna talk about this. and That's it. But uh, I grew up in the country, and uh, not really the country, but some the the more further out suburbs than mm-hmm. you. And my my regular toy store was the Raley's toy section, so the grocery the grocery store toy section, mm-hmm. and uh, there they had GI Joe. And probably, probably similar to your exposure at Kmart, but even less selection. Uh, mm-hmm. And my parents would give me different jobs where, that I could do for 25 or 30 cents or whatever. And this is probably why I had this mentality is that it would take me a very long time to save up the, I, I mean, a, a, a G.I. Joe, I think I think you nailed it. I think it was $4.99 plus tax for, mm-hmm. for, a, for a single G.I. Joe. But for Core you could get six G.I. Joe's or six six of those for $10. And they weren't as unique as the G.I. Joe's. You know, when you got G.I. Joe, like each figure was a little bit different. With The way that they did core, it was like you had like, you could get these big packs of them. Where mm-hmm. It was like six, like six jungle guys. And they were all dudes with masks on and like jungle fatigues. Mm-hmm. And then, or you could get like the snow guys and yeah. it, it was like six snow dudes with different types of helmets, but they were all basically the same. They just were slightly different from each other. And um, this is like one of those other things too. It's like my, I would get these, I would save up a little bit more and get like a 10, uh, a six pack for like 10 bucks or 11 bucks or whatever it was plus tax. That's also where I learned how to calculate tax. Cause in California, when I was a kid, it was seven and a half percent was oh. uh, sale was sales tax, um, which is high. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh I remember my my mom taught me how to calculate ten percent, which at the time was pretty complicated, but she was like, it's pretty easy, you just move the decimal over mm-hmm. and then that's and then add that onto the total price, and that's ten percent. Seven percent, seven and a half percent is roughly that. So if you want to buy something that's ten dollars, make sure that you have enough money for eleven dollars. And uh so like they they that's how I basically learned how to calculate that sort of stuff. But we get the chorus toys. and then like my dad's in my style of p- playing with uh, GI Joes. I would play them with them by myself, and there would be some stuff going on. But when my dad and I played with them together, we would set up these very elaborate scenes with like <laughs> with like uh, zip lines and like different things. But we would not they awesome. wouldn't move. We would just position them in these different positions, yeah, yeah. and then and then be like okay look at it now <laughs> like, like, like a, a weird thing. But like, then when I'd play by myself, there was like a storyline and something mm-hmm. like this guy mm-hmm. is fighting this guy. Yeah. And like this guy's kicking
2: know. this dude in the head. And right. yeah, I know exactly what you're saying.
0: Yeah. But <laughs> anyways, uh, anything else you're looking forward to for Christmas this year? Ah, uh, let's see.
2: So it's on a Friday. So that's nice. Um, Oh, my, my parents are making Prime Rib, and I am I am looking forward to that.
0: That does sound pretty good. That does sound good. We're doing on uh, – we're not doing really much for Christmas. We got tickets to Wonder Woman, uh, even though it comes out on HBO Max, and we have HBO Max. We're going to go to the theater to watch Wonder Woman just because we haven't been to a, a movie in forever. Mm-hmm. We've been trying to go, but they're just not showing anything new. Uh, okay. So – so we bought tickets for Wonder Woman. We're going to go see that, and then on the 26th, all the libertarians are coming over, and we're going to be doing like a, I guess a pajama party is the closest thing to describe it, and watch mm-hmm. uh, Home Alone. Oh, fun! So that'll be fun. I, I haven't seen Home Alone probably in 15 years. That is a pretty good choice. Yeah, we we haven't we didn't we weren't allowed to watch Home Alone when I was a little kid because he said he says shut up in it, and uh, we weren't allowed to watch anything where they say shut up. So
1: <laughs> I want to have your
0: mom on so badly after <laughs> like
1: where,
2: like did you have a newsletter <laughs> like where they told you like this movie says shut up
0: like uh, they always so the- so my parents my parents if there was a movie that <laughs> they thought was appropriate for us they would always get it and watch it together the night before okay. And then yeah. So, like, so, like, let's say that, like, on a Friday night, we were going to watch this movie. They would get it on Thursday and it would be like a blockbuster two day rental or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they would watch it Thursday night together on the small TV in their bedroom.
1: Mm. And
0: then, and then if there was something in it that my mom or dad, usually my mom, my dad usually didn't, <laughs> was he just wasn't that cognizant of things. Um, yeah. If there was something in it that she thought was inappropriate, we just wouldn't be allowed to watch it. Mm hmm. And, uh, so, uh, there was a lot like that. And then, I mean, I was actually, it was a, it was a great privilege for me to be able to watch Star Trek Insurrection Mm -hmm. because Star Trek Insurrection was rated PG 13 for sexual content, which at this point in my life, I don't remember, except for, I think there's a makeout scene between Picard and the chick who lived for like 500 years or whatever in that movie. But, Hmm. Like that's the only thing I can think of that would make that PG 13. Yeah. And even now it wouldn't be rated PG 13. No, no. Nowadays it would be PG for sure. Yeah. But I, I, but I distinctly remember wanting to watch home alone when, and it wasn't even when it came out. I think home alone, the first one came out in like the late eighties. Um, let's see. Home alone. Uh, 1990. So I was, I would have been three, so I wouldn't have remembered, but, uh, I do remember t- wanting to watch it. And my parents renting it. And then my mom go, no, because they say shut up in it. So, and we weren't allowed. They like, that was the S <laughs> word dust, by the way. So <laughs> we weren't, we weren't even aware of, of uh, the real S word
1: <laughs>
0: at the time. But, uh, so yeah, so we're going to watch that, which is, I think, I, you know, I feel very, um, privileged to have grown up in such a wholesome household. Mm-hmm. I'm, I always think about this to myself. Is like, would I allow my kids to watch this? Because like, I think my, my mom had a good, it was good reasoning. It wasn't that he said, shut up just in general. It was that he was disrespectful to the adults in it. Mm-hmm. And that's what she didn't like. And he said, shut up to one of the adults. Yeah. Uh, from my recollection, I, I haven't seen the movie in years, but yeah. um, on a, on a interesting side note, Macaulay Culkin's sister is the sister on Mr. Robot, which Victoria and I have been watching lately. And we were sitting there and I was like, this girl looks super familiar to me. And uh, I I like, I was like, oh my gosh, I think she's one of the McCulkins." And we looked it up and it was his younger sister, which I just thought oh. was interesting. Yeah. Uh, are you looking it up?
2: I'm trying to, but I'm not spelling his name. I, I or think any part of his name,
0: right? Yeah, it's uh, Culkin is C H. A i k i n, yeah. Uh, Carly Culkin is uh, Carly. Yeah, Carly Culkin. I mean she she's <laughs> his she's his younger sister by a lot of years because she's I think she's thirty now or, or we we looked it up Victoria and I, I think she's like thirty or thirty one. She's younger than me,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and Macaulay Culkin's got to be over forty by this by this time.
1: I don't know.
2: I can't spell any of these people's names. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> but anyways, I just thought that was a, an interesting thing. So yeah, that's what, that's what I'm looking forward to for Christmas. The other thing I'm looking forward to is Victoria and I, uh, bought each other rollerblades for Christmas. Mm-hmm. And I'm very much excited to, uh, reinvigorating my passion for rollerblading, which I haven't I, – I I, did a little bit of rollerblading with Kevin. Kevin and I used to do because we were thinking about joining a street hockey team. Mm. And so he and I would just go like rollerblading together. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then that never really materialized. And so now I'm just kind of excited because like we keep seeing people at the park because we go to the park with the dogs and stuff every once in a while. And we keep seeing people rollerblading around in the park. And it looks like so much fun just to rollerblade. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know your wife's a big fan of rollerblading. She is. Yeah, so we we went to play it against sports to try to look for uh, weight equipment and the rollerblades were so inexpensive for used rollerblades mm-hmm. and, and they were all in really good condition. So I was like, let's just get rollerblades for Christmas. This will be a lot of fun. So that's what we did. And so now I'm really looking forward to that. So those right. those are my big my big things that I'm looking yeah. forward
2: to. Uh, so that, that girl is not Macaulay Colkin's sister.
0: She's not? Uh, how is she related then?
2: I don't think they're related at all.
0: How do they have the same last name?
2: Uh, her name is C H A I K I N. Yeah, Culkin.
0: You're right. Like, it's it's yeah. Cake. Oh my gosh. <laughs> i my mind has been blown. It's cake. Uh, she looks super familiar though from something. Now yeah. now now. Victoria are going to have to do more research because I just went like when I saw it I was just like oh it's Culkin. <laughs> and now I'm like now I'm uh second guessing myself cuz they do look similar.
2: Yeah, did you watch NTSF SDSUV? I don't think so. What is that? It's just one of those like stupid um like knock shows on uh it it stands for National Terrorism Strike Force San Diego Sports Utility Vehicle. It's one of those uh, adult swim shows that was like based on like SV, uh, you know, uh, CSI and it's just like a goof show.
1: Hmm, So she was
2: in that, but I don't see anything else that she was like big in.
0: Now I need to look up this stuff because for some reason I thought it was – I could have sworn that we saw that it was Macaulay Culkin's sister. No. Oh, well. All right. Well – on that sad note, let's go ahead and wrap up the show. Yeah. <laughs> my my wrongness that they look similar. <laughs> uh yeah, you're right. Because Colkin is C U L K I N and I spelled it out loud to you. Mm-hmm. and and had no connection in my mind. <laughs> Weird. Okay.
2: Yeah. So he yeah, Macaulay Colkin is exactly ten years older than her. Not exactly, but he's ten years older than that girl. Okay. So. Yeah.
0: And wasn't his wasn't his younger brother in uh Signs? Mm, which one of his younger brothers? Uh I don't know which uh I think it was Rory Culkin. Yes. Yeah, and he was also in that uh was Rory Culkin the one I know that one of them was in the uh Waco movie on Netflix.
1: One yeah, of them I think I, I don't remember which I one. I think
0: that's uh Kieran. Kieran. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Okay. So there are multiple Culkins who are mm-hmm. in this sort of stuff. Uh, well, one that's not even s- close to Culkin, but yeah, well, yeah, whatever.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. Well, I yeah. get, uh, okay, let's go ahead and uh, do plugs and everybody stay tuned because uh, we will have our other Christmas interviews. This is going to be a, a long grand Christmas episode because yes. we've got a couple of people on for different Christmasy things.
2: Yeah, so you can follow us on tasting uh, Childerberg.com, dot Schilderberg com, on Twitter, Tasting Anarchy on Twitter. You can send us email at TastingAnarchy at uh gmail dot com. What's Childerberg? Chilterberg is our annual gathering of liberty minded folks in Texas. Uh it will be the twenty ninth through the thirty first of May of twenty twenty one. It'll be at the Mule Shoe Bend Recreational Area. Um Yeah.
0: And exactly. uh, speaking of, of Childeberg, uh, I was on the propaganda report recently. Uh, so go check out the propaganda report. I think this will be out either before or around the same time as that episode comes out. So go ahead and check out the propaganda report. I was on with Carr and Bird uh, to promote Childeberg and just to promote a positive view of the world, yeah. uh, which is sometimes we we get kind of like sucked into the sort of libertarian negativity, but there is a lot of stuff to be positive about as well. And, uh, we kind of promoted that in that episode. So
1: okay. awesome.
0: check that out. All right. Mm. Stay yeah. free, everybody. Stay free. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Yeah. All right. Welcome to our next guest on the Tasting Anarchy Christmas episode. We've got Billy from Cork and Java. Uh, how are you doing, Billy?
3: I'm doing well. How are you guys? Very We're
0: good, very Yeah, very good indeed. Um we just wanted to before we we get into our our main episode which people will probably hear before the Christmas episode, we just wanted to kind of touch on a couple of topics about Christmas and how your family does things and some good Christmas memories from you. So, I guess my uh first question for this will be uh what's your family's Christmas tradition? How do you do Christmas growing up? Is there anything unique or just uh, something interesting that you want to share about your family's Christmas tradition?
3: So, yeah, um, let's start with growing up. Uh, So my parents split when I was pretty young, which for your listeners who are in that situation or were in that situation knows that that means you get two Christmases, which is pretty awesome. Um, So, yeah, usually we had Christmas morning, you know, we did everything up with presents and the Santa Claus thing. And then, you know, either later that that night or the next day, it was Christmas all over again at the other house. So, yeah, it was it was kind of um, – we, we moved around a lot as a kid. So it wasn't anything too tradition-y. And yeah. it's kind of the same way it is now. Like my parents just um, moved – to the area a few miles away from DC to uh, where we live in coastal Virginia now. And, uh, I have other family in the area and other family that's coming to visit. So we were actually just planning tonight, uh, over dinner, like what we're going to do, we're going to be going like, uh, early brunch over at my parents' new house. And then we're going to do all the presents there with now my kids, which is going to be my parents' grandkids and, uh, just having a blast, uh, kind of in the morning and then we're gonna kind of just hang out and do stuff and then the evening we usually do kind of like a, a big christmas dinner with the family so we're gonna i think since we're doing a brunch they're planning to like order a lasagna from a local italian restaurant so that'll be interesting so every year you, it's kind of something different um are you guys uh italian um my wife is but no none, okay. none of my family is it's oh, just
0: you just just like lasagna. <laughs> yeah,
3: I mean one yeah. one Christmas uh, it was kind of a failed dinner with my parents, um, and uh, it was a lot of foods that my wife doesn't eat, um, like namely like pork products and stuff like that that uh, doesn't just settle well with her. So like we ended up going and getting Chinese food like later that night and stuff. So like every Christmas is like there's something different going on. Well, that sounds like a lot
0: of fun. Uh, You know, I I always forget that people have that kind of the travel aspect of Christmas where they have to go somewhere else because I grew up in a household where we lived with my grandparents. So all of the cousins and everything came over to our house. And uh, so it it always kind of reminds me that like I just had a very different situation because when people are like, oh, well, you know, we're going to go over to so-and-so's house or whatever. And I'm like, oh, that's right. Yeah, people they go somewhere else. They don't stay at their house. And, um, we're, we're thinking about that maybe this year is, uh, right, right now we don't have any kids or anything. We're probably not going to go anywhere this year, but I was kind of thinking about it. I was like, well, yeah, we got to figure out like at some point, where is the hub when we do have kids? Like, where are we going to go? Cause we're here in Texas. Most of my family's in California, but I have some family in Nebraska and Mason's out there in Virginia. So I don't, I don't know, you know, What's going to be the place once I have kids, like where we're going to, where we're going to want to go see people and stuff. So that, that's, that's interesting. Uh, what do you, what is, uh, some stuff that you do? Like, um, one of the things that is always very interesting to me and I always want to ask people is we have like a, a, present opening system in my family. And, uh, I always wonder if like other people have a present opening system or if it's just like free for all, like either for you when you were growing up or for your kids,
3: Yes, so we do. We have a present opening system that um, was around ever since we were kind of at least you know young adults uh, at my parents' house growing up as teenagers and stuff like that. There was always, and it's still the same pretty much to this day, there's one person that's designated as the gift giver. They would go to Under the Tree and pick something, read whose name uh, is on it, and then give it to that person to open and they're kind of the designated person there and once that person gets their gift open they're on the next one to hand out then there was usually somebody in charge of the the trash can uh, or trash bags that would everyone would throw their wrappers at when they're done opening and they would stuff it <laughs> in a bag so like that's kind of what our system was and it kind of milks out the opening experience so everyone's opening one at a time and everyone gets to see what everyone's opening so That's kind of how we did it. How about you guys?
0: Well, that's very similar to the way that I did it. And this is – you're actually the first guest we've had on that actually has a system for it, uh, which I appreciate a lot and I'm extremely excited about. (laughs) But – because we had a very similar system where um, in my family, because there was five kids, we had the youngest kid gets to pick a gift, read who it's for, and then give it to them. And everybody watches that kid or that person open the gift. So it could even be for our parents or grandparents. Um, and then it just goes from youngest to oldest, picking a gift to open, and kind of it, it does it. It extends that gift giving time. And then usually about halfway through the gifts, we break for breakfast, and mom makes like a. My mom always made like a a big like pancakes or like eggs or something like that for everybody, and um, and then we'd go back to it later on. So and we'd usually finish before lunch, and then lunchtime it's about time that. Uh, we were getting prepared for the big Christmas dinner meal, and we, you know, have a snack or something like that. But um, and actually, our stockings usually contained a snack, so we'd be, as as my family calls it, tidying over. We'd be tidied over, and uh, <laughs> and uh, that would kind of last us. What about you, Mason? I, I think you and I have talked about this a bunch of times, but uh, so right now you only have one kid, but you also only grew up with two siblings, and your brothers. In in my mind is much younger than you, but I guess he's an adult now. He's
2: five years younger than me. So like when like my grandparents live in town, or my grandmother lives in town, and my uncle who's mentally handicapped lived with them. So like we like family, and then we have like family who was in the Coast Guard and stuff like that. So family came to us, like came to my grandparents' house. So a lot of times, like we would just wake up, open our gifts, and then eventually mosey on over there. Um, Mm -hmm. now there were a few times I think where like, we didn't go over that day because it was like, no family was in town. So like, we just would kind of stay separate, but, um, yeah, like there, like we always kind of did a free for all where, you know, like people would kind of find their own gifts and like my parents always like, kind of do more than they should. (laughs) So there's always Mm -hmm. a little more gifts from them than really is necessary. So, but my brother has taken to like kind of like handing out all the gifts and, and making sure people continually have one to open. Um, yeah. Okay. So, but like with, since for my parents, at least my daughter is their only grandkid, like a lot of the focus is on her. So,
0: Right. Yeah. Right, right. Then that, that makes sense too. Um, you know, one thing Mason that you don't have that I had growing up a lot, and I'm curious to see Billy, cause I know Billy, you go to a, uh, a church cause I see your postings on Facebook every once in a while. Uh, do you guys have a pretty strong religious uh, component to your Christmas? My my family did, and I do still, uh, so I'm just kind of curious, because I know, Mason, you're not particularly religious, Mm -hmm. but Billy and I think probably share a little bit of that religious Christmas tradition.
3: Yeah, so, um, yeah, I'm a Reformed Baptist. So in kind of our theological views, um, we don't really do up, holidays or holy days too much like really it's the the lord's day every week that is the focal point of our uh um kind of religion and kind of the other holidays like christmas and easter it's kind of christian liberty like yeah you can celebrate it but it's not like a prescribed holiday from the bible that like you're mandated to to worship or do anything in some Uh, sacramental way or anything like that so we kind of just celebrate it kind of as a, a time for family to get together and to um you know reflect on you know jesus's incarnation and stuff like that but it's not something that we find as religiously significant as like just the 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 means of grace of like the one in seven um order that um that we believe in uh the reformed tradition
0: that's, that's that's very interesting. I grew up uh, Southern Baptist, but I'm Quaker now. But uh, when I was growing up, my mom was very hardline, and we, although I, I I always feel like I don't describe this correctly, but um, we did not do Santa Claus at all until I was a little bit older, and then it was more like tongue in cheek Santa Claus. But when I was a, a kid, I, I and I've told the story probably on every every episode that we've had somebody on or every segment in this particular episode, we've, uh, where my mom pulled me aside when I was in kindergarten and said, uh, Jake, you know, we don't, we don't believe in Santa and we don't teach that Santa's real or anything like that in this household. But when you go to school, there's going to be kids that do believe in Santa Claus and it's not your place to tell them that it's fake. You just need to be quiet about it and don't say anything. Uh, and, So I always find that kind of an interesting thing is – and Mason, you you had a little bit of a different experience and and you might want to share that again in this uh, episode. But for me growing up, like Santa wasn't even really a component. Later on, we did Santa stuff so we would have gifts that would be from Santa and then in parentheses it would say mom and dad. So my mom always kind of held that uh, Santa Claus is not real thing. And I think it was because later on she realized my dad – when he was a kid, Santa Claus was a big component of his – Childhood, but for my mom, it was not my my grandfather was Jewish, and my grandmother was Presbyterian, I guess, but very kind of not really not not into that kind of thing, really. So, um, that, that I, that's one of those kind of things that's interesting to me is that like Reformed Baptist though is very different than Southern, well, not very different, but in a lot of ways different than Southern Baptists, uh, and uh and, and also I guess we wouldn't we weren't really Southern Baptists. That's just the church we went to, but my mom was very much against anything that took away the holiday from Jesus. So, uh, that was just kind of how things worked out for me. What about you, Mason, when you were growing up, what was your, what was, I think you, you mentioned this in an earlier episode that you were very offended that, uh, you found out that Santa was wrong or something like that. or not. Yeah. Real. Like
2: I, I, I never really get the point of like inventing, Something to go with like this gift giving kind of thing, like to me it's a religious holiday um or it ha- it's a holiday based on religious components, so like I don't see the need to secularize it with some other fat man <laughs> like yeah, and then be like, oh you Santa brings the gifts it's like, no, your parents got you these gifts or your family members got you these gifts, and like we don't need to make up somebody who brought them along, but course my daughter believes in santa claus and my wife doesn't let me choose (laughs) that
0: so is this that's interesting to me too because uh and and victoria and i've been discussing this a little bit not not really a whole lot because we don't have kids yet so it's not really that pertinent or whatever but in eastern european tradition uh they have uh died morose which is the uh eastern european santa claus kind of and um which is like father christmas or father frost and um He also has a granddaughter whose uh, name is uh, Senguchka, I think is her name. I'll have to ask Victoria at some point to pronounce that. But that's kind of their tradition. And I always kind of think it's interesting because, like, it wasn't something that I grew up with, so it's not important to me. Uh, But it might be fun for when when we have kids to have – some sort of santa claus type tradition what do you think billy what are you what are you doing with your kids do your kids do any sort of santa claus type tradition
3: so our kids are four and two right now and we haven't told them about santa claus at all and uh we're not going to probably play it up much and like let them figure it out at an early age and not really you know like a lot of parents drag it out for a really long time but yeah it's it's funny because even though we haven't even told them anything about Santa, they know who Santa is. They see him and it's like on TV or um, those inflatable uh, lawn things, and they're like, "There's Santa or Santa Claus," and like they know the story. They somehow have absorbed it from just like I guess our culture or from the shows they watch or whatever. And they but. But also all their characters, their fictional characters in shows, too, they'll, they'll talk about as if they're real at, at yeah. 4 and 2 anyway. So I don't really know if they understand the concept that he's a fictional character or they think he's real or even if they think their other fictional characters from TV are real or fake at this point. So who knows? <laughs> yeah. Well,
0: you know, that's kind of one of those funny things is that like I never in my life thought that Santa Claus was a real character. So it like never really impacted me that he was not real. But I do distinctly remember Wolverine being real and uh, <laughs> thinking that like the X-Men character Wolverine was a real person when I found out this is fiction. I was just – I was I wouldn't say I was devastated, but I was like, whoa, what? Are you, are you telling me that this is not a real character? Like oh, this yeah. guy? You know, that kind of thing. But whereas like my parents did make a very – well, at least my mother – my mom, she made a very strong point of telling me like Santa Claus is not a real character. It's just for fun. And it's, and, and, and kind of, and probably I didn't understand this at the time, but like the, the concept she was, uh, I guess instilling in me was that this is for fun and it's more of like a cultural thing. It's not a literal thing, I guess. So it, which is interesting. Cause I think your kids are going to maybe sort of have something similar along those lines where they, they're introduced to it culturally, but, although it doesn't sound like you guys are like telling them, Hey, this is not real. Whereas my mom was telling me this is, this is for fun and make believe.
3: (laughs) Yeah. I I think I remember my, uh, my little brother thinking Pokemon were actually real at one point too. When he was young. (laughs) Well, I mean,
0: that's, that's, uh, I mean, kids, you know, it's hard to, it's hard. I thought Inspector Gadget was real too.
3: So (laughs) it's, it's something like till they're 10 years old, they're, their brains aren't developed to the point to where they can always distinguish between reality and fiction mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's interesting like uh that you know you have imaginary friends and stuff when kids are little. I mean I never did, but like there's there's something weird about their brains with 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 all that kind of stuff
0: yeah yeah it, that, that is interesting because yeah, I never had an imaginary friend either uh, did Mason, did you have an imaginary friend?
3: Um,
2: I don't think I, I think like I constantly tried to have an imaginary friend, but like never like, well, that was the thing is like, I, like when, as a kid, like I always kind of found myself in those situations where like, you know, it's like, oh, everybody's got an imaginary friend. So then I was like, well, what would that be like? And would pretend and then just kind of would forget about it. And you know, like I had teddy bears and like toys like that. So I didn't really have to like imagine someone was playing with me. Like I would go get one of my toys and play with it. And then so like, I wouldn't say like I had an imaginary friend, but like, you know, I had a teddy bear that I did a bunch of stuff with that like kind of took that place where it's like,
1: yeah, I guess oh, yeah, that makes he's, sense. he's doing it. He's
2: guarding the room, you know, like that sort of thing. Like, oh, cops and robbers. He's the he's the cop, that sort of thing. So like as opposed to like, oh, there's some visible guy over there. It's like, no, <laughs> just the toy.
0: Okay. Well, I mean, that that makes sense. I mean, I, I, I never really, I, I mean, I guess maybe I did have that sort of thing a little bit, but it was just never, I, I, and it might be also because I had so many siblings that like, there was just no reason for an imaginary friend. So yeah. like there was always somebody to, to play with. All right. Well, let's, let's go ahead and round out this uh, Christmas segment with, um, uh, what's everybody looking forward to this Christmas, and and uh, I guess let's let's go ahead and include New Year's because New Year's is also important in our household because my wife's Eastern Euro- European and New Year's is is I wouldn't say it's more important, but it's a a higher focus I would guess than uh, Christmas because their Christmas is after New Year's. So, for uh, Billy, what what are you looking forward to this Christmas?
3: So, um, a recent discovery. That I, I've never tried before, and this is drink related, is we just tried a mold wine recipe on our oh. uh, on our Cork and Java YouTube channel, and it's not something I've ever had before, and I never thought I would really like it just from thinking about what it was, but man, the recipe we made, and it's just a simple stovetop yeah. uh, method, was. It was awesome. Like I love like hot apple cider, you know, spiked with some like cinnamon whiskey or something in around Christmas time. Um, but we are definitely, and our family's already talking about doing it for on, on Christmas is getting some mold wine together and and doing that up. So that's kind of what I'm excited for.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think I think uh, two two years or maybe three years ago, Mason, you and I did mold wine mm-hmm. for this show. And it was also – I I, I uh, empathize a lot with what you're saying, Billy, because to me, hot wine just didn't really sound good. But hot spiced wine as like a hot, warm drink – and my wife even liked it too. And we used um, – I'd have to go back and look at it, but I think we used one of the kind of cheaper Cab sauvs that I got from Last Bottle Wines, which if you – Use our link at tastinganarchy.com. You can save $10 off your first order. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we used one of the cheaper ones. I think it was actually uh, a Margot from Bordeaux. I think that's what actually we used. And I I can kind of in my mind picture it. It was a a yellow label. But anyways, uh, blood orange, cloves, um, cinnamon, Cardamom, maybe, maybe mm-hmm. a couple of other things. I'm trying to think of everything that was in ours, but did yeah, you put a nice brandy in
3: it. We used brandy. Uh,
0: yeah, yep a little a little bit of brandy, uh, not a lot, but a little bit. We did put mm-hmm. a little bit not, my wife and I don't like brandy, so we just put a little tiny bit in and just tried it out. Um, but yeah, I, I I liked it a lot. It was actually very surprising to me because it just doesn't sound like something I would like. But once it's done, it's really. Uh, very rewarding for a cold winter's night, especially. I think the time we were making it, we were locked in our apartment in Norfolk uh, before we moved out here to Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, Mason, do you remember if you if you made that or if I maybe gave you a taste of the one that I made?
2: No, I I mean like I have definitely we definitely did like separately mulled wine. I didn't go as far and like put brandy and as many things in there, but yeah, I I definitely enjoy mulled wine. Um, I like kind of again like those. Uh, it's just like an interesting thing that like, like you said, it's just like, wait a minute. I don't think I'm going to like this. It's like, nope, nope, I do. This is good.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's it's a very, it's very interesting because it's, uh, yeah, you don't really think that it's going to be, um, an outstanding thing, but it turns out to be surprisingly good. So that's kind of what I recommend everybody is. If, if you have not had a delicious mulled wine for the holiday, go ahead and try that out, but let's go ahead and, uh, wrap up this Christmas segment and we'll put this in our Christmas episode. Uh, Billy, why don't you go ahead and give your plugs and then we'll get started on the the regular Tasting Anarchy episode that everybody can enjoy.
3: Sure. Yeah. We're uh, Cork and Java. Of course, we have Corkandjava.com, but I think our main source of content is on uh, YouTube. So it's Cork and Java if you just search it there. And so our kind of thing is we do a lot of wine and coffee and other beverage reviews and how to's with the goal of expanding and enriching people's experience with all their favorite kind of beverages. So that's what we do. We, we, we review different products. Like, uh, you know, I just put out an espresso machine review and uh, coffee grinders, but then we got a lot of, we do a lot of wine reviews and also, you know, when we just put out a mold wine video, uh, there. So, just a, just a lot of random drink stuff. We do a lot of cocktails and stuff like that as well. So yeah, all around drinks. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, well, and, and it's, it's a it's a YouTube channel that I enjoy quite a bit. Uh, I, I don't ever go to your website, but I always go to your YouTube and see what you guys are up to. So uh, for the listeners of Tasting Anarchy, go ahead and check out uh, Quirk and Java on YouTube. They've got a lot of really great um, content and uh, even stuff that like that, we don't really talk about in our show, a lot of uh, beers and, and other types of uh, alcoholic beverages, coffee, things like that, that that Mason and I don't review on this, but we do enjoy separately. So go ahead and check that out. Mason, you want to say anything to wrap this up? No, that's good. All right, everybody. Merry Christmas. Cool. All right. I'll uh, cut this part out and uh, we'll go ahead and go into the episode. So All
1: right.
0: Tasting Anarchy, your wine and liberty podcast. Join Mason and Jake each week as they try new wines and discover how much government is in your drink. Hello and welcome to another fantastic episode of Tasting Anarchy. I'm your host, Jacob Lindsay, and as always, I'm joined by
2: Mason Joseph.
0: And this week, we're also joined by Billy from Cork and Java. Billy, how are you doing today?
3: I'm doing good. And you know what? I listen to my podcast at like 1.8 speed. So hearing that intro at normal speed was like, wow, this is slow and drawn out. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe,
0: maybe we need to speed it up a little bit. But, uh, no,
3: because it will be too fast when I listen to it on uh, my podcast catcher. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right on, right on. Well, this week we are going to go back into our uh, segment that we – Series, I guess. I guess series mm-hmm. that we've been doing, uh, which is uh, Sauvignon Blanc from Kroger. We decided to have Billy on. Billy, Billy told me earlier that he doesn't really have any particular opinion about Sauvignon Blanc, but uh, this episode's only partially about Sauvignon Blanc. What I wanted to have Billy on was um, we're going to be doing a little bit later 2020 predictions for the wine and alcohol world. I have an article that's related to that. And uh, we'll go ahead and get into that a little bit later. But uh, to start out, Mason, do you want to introduce the wine or would you like me to? You should do so because you okay. picked this one out. I did pick this out. I think I picked out all of the the Sauvignon Blancs actually. No, I
2: picked out the the last one.
0: Like, oh, okay. All right. I had we'll, gotten we'll that
2: originally, it. yeah.
0: Okay, so this is this is Carrie Sauvignon Blanc 2019 at Kroger it's 12.99 a bottle if you buy a single, but if you buy uh six, I guess you get a discount. Uh I didn't write down the ABV. What's the ABV on this?
2: Uh, it was 13 something. Okay,
0: 13. Okay. Yeah, I think yeah, it's So 13. this is uh, Okay. All right. This is Central Coast, California, Monterey in particular. Um, this to me so yellow, it's Look wise, very, very kind of a dehydrated pea yellow kind of, mm-hmm. uh, which not not an appetizing color description, but uh, that's sort of, I think maybe alluding to my <laughs> the rest of my review. <laughs> uh, smell wise, I think it, it's uh, very citrusy, very a lot of uh, peach and pear, apple, also kind of like overripe pineapple. Uh, mm-hmm. Taste wise. That's very similar to the taste I get. It has good acidity, but it has that over flavor that I complained about a little bit uh, when we did the Pinot Grigios. So I, I don't think it's bad. It's just that there is some of these wines at this price point. Well, I don't want to say it's at this price point because I've gotten uh, actually one of the ones that we did from New Zealand earlier that was at this price point, actually lower than this price point. I think it was $10. Uh, I thought was quite good, and it was crisp, clean, refreshing. This, it's crisp. I would not say it's clean or refreshing because it has this overripe pineapple flavor to it that just makes it too sticky, too sugary to me to be a uh, clean Sauvignon Blanc, and I really hate to complain about things, uh, as you know. He said, "I do. Um, <laughs> I really don't like to give a negative review, and I don't think this deserves a negative review. I just think that it uh, people need to be aware that if you like that overripe pineapple flavor, this is the wine for you. It's like a it's like a grapefruit mixed with overripe pineapple. Very, very clearly, that flavor. If that's what you like, perfect. This is the this is the one for you. Um, but for me, it's just not quite." clean enough for a Sauvignon Blanc. I prefer the Sauvignon Blanc to be very crisp and clean and light and refreshing. This is Texas that I live in. You know, Right now, we do have kind of cooler temperatures, but the majority of the year is pool weather. I want to hang out by the pool, have a crisp, refreshing, clean, cold Sauvignon Blanc by the pool, and this doesn't really fit the bill, but it could fit the bill for other things. What do you think about it, Mason? So...
2: I didn't have as much of an issue as you did with it. Um I I thought it was actually one of the better ones of that we've done so far. But I think this one like my price point was actually 9.99. Uh so I think I actually was cheaper than yours. Oh um, really? Okay. Yeah, so for me like I definitely got the grapefruit. I got the citrus in it, but like I liked that it wasn't as crisp as you would say. Um mm-hmm. So like, I liked that, but I can also see where, like, I got what, where you were going with it. You know what I mean? Like there, I can see definitely kind of that feel and flavor to it. Um, I just enjoyed it a little more than you did, I think, but like, I can definitely, I'm not in, in, I don't disagree, um, with what you were saying where it's like, okay, this is definitely interesting. So,
3: Yeah. Uh, well, so hey, Jacob, do yeah. you have, um, hold on one second, <coughs> teriyaki sauce in your fridge by any chance?
0: Um, I do actually have teriyaki sauce in my fridge. We, we do cook with it quite a bit.
3: Can you take a, a little swig of that and then try it and tell me what you think? I'm just kind of curious because of the, the notes that you were telling me about with the strong pineapple. I wonder if that would kind of, cause that usually has kind of a sweet pineapple to it if it would kind of cut it back a little bit.
0: That would be an interesting experiment. Let's do that right now. So let me me step away (laughs) from my uh, mic real quick, get a little bit of this and a little bit of the teriyaki sauce and see what that's like. Because that's one of the things actually uh, on that note is since I got the WSET certification is combination with food for wine is super important and um, I did the combination I actually did with this is probably a bad combination. I had three Rar and Sons uh, dad gum IPAs before I had this, and that <laughs> may have tainted my palate a little bit. You know, I did try to clear it out. I, ha- I actually had some salad, uh, which this is recommended to go with vegetarian fare. Um, so I did have some salad and a lot of water in between, but I'll go and try this out. So. Uh, let me, let me break. If you guys want to fill the dead air, you can, if not, I'll cut it out in post. So, uh, here I go. Hang on just a second.
3: Yeah, I have a theory that, uh, it might, the sweetness and the kind of tart pineapple-y of the sauce might help complement it, or I think it might go opposite end and just completely destroy it, too. What do you think, Mason?
2: (laughs) Um, so that's the thing is, like, I... I never really think pineapple with teriyaki. I totally understand where you're coming from with that. So as soon as you said that, I was like, oh, that's a really interesting combination. And that's what I was going to ask you is like, do you guys cook with teriyaki that frequently? Or is that for some reason like just kind of like a a solid taste memory for you?
3: Actually, uh, um, I do a lot. Uh, well, not a lot, but occasionally, like actually today, I made a kind of stir-fry with uh just leftovers in the fridge, and I threw some teriyaki in it, and I would mm-hmm. just remember thinking about the kind of pineapple-y taste I was getting from the teriyaki sauce, so huh. it kind of reminded me of that.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah, because like I, like, my wife likes teriyaki, but she one time made something in like a, like not in like a complaint way, but like. It just didn't tate, sit with me very well, so like I've been like not against it, but I just haven't eaten, haven't really consumed it in a long time. so when you're like teriyaki I was like, oh, interesting idea. <laughs> sounds like we can hear him coming back
0: okay well with with the teriyaki sauce it does change it, but I think maybe our teriyaki sauces uh the salt content on this kind of changes it. What I could see this going with really well would be like a teriyaki salted salmon, like raw salmon, um, with the teriyaki sauce. It it does it really changes the the I guess the palate on this. It's um, hold on, I, I got to think about it for a second. <laughs>
3: it might be a little I mean, bit too too overpowering for a uh, kind of delicate wine. Well, you know what it does is it is it
0: basically gets rid of the rotten or the overripe pineapple flavor. Rotten is not really what I want to describe it as cuz it's not that that's a negative connotation, but it does kind of get rid of that overripe pineapple, but it also makes everything else muted. So then it ends up just being kind of lemon lime like lemon lime muted kind of it's like a lemon lime honey maybe would be like the way to describe it after you get a little bit of a swig of, of teriyaki that's interesting though because it does it very much changes the flavor and it, and it kind of makes me think that because i didn't have this with any food other than i guess the salad uh with some sort of stronger vegetarian fare or seafood dish or maybe uh cheese based, goat cheese, maybe something like that. This would have been a, a little bit of a different experience for me. Like and 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 also I don't want any, anybody to get me wrong. I don't think it's bad. Especially at the price point, it's not terrible. $12.99 is fine. Mason's price point is better. Uh I just know that I've had things at a at a Sauvignon Blanc at this price point or lower that I think are better. And also, I may be tainted by the research I've done as well for Central Coast California because this this does happen with me a lot is that like I'll start reading about the things I want to say about the Central Coast and then uh, – well, or wherever the wine is that we're from and I'll go, oh, yeah, that does fit. Oh, yeah, that does fit. <laughs> and um, so like I am kind of a, a little bit jaded on that. But that, that was a really great suggestion, Billy. I think that will fill out the episode a little bit. Maybe some sort of like a soy sa or soy sake salmon, or a teriyaki salmon would be a really great combination with this.
2: Yeah, I think it would be.
0: Yeah. what What did you eat with it, Mason? Did you eat anything, or just have it by itself?
2: I believe I had it by itself um, because I actually drank it last week, Um, Mm -hmm. so like I I just happened to have it in earlier. Uh, or I just happen to have finished it all, so like I I don't have a huge amount of like memory of when like where I was when I consumed it.
0: Got it. Okay. Yeah. Then that makes sense. Uh, I went out and grabbed another bottle of it today when you were like, "Hey, let's do the carries," and I was like, "Crap!" That was like three weeks ago when I drank that. <laughs> uh, so I I went out uh, when I was doing my weekly car ride because uh, long story short. Because of COVID, I haven't driven my car in like six six or seven months, and it caused all sorts of problems with it. And uh, so I I've went. i been – once I fix the car, I've, I've decided like I need to go out and take it out every weekend to go like do something. So mm-hmm. this weekend's like chore was to go out and get this wine. And in the meantime, I went and did – just drove around other neighborhoods and stuff like that. There's a neighborhood in uh, – there's this weird city inside Arlington. And I wanted to go down there, and it turns out I've been there a bunch of times. But uh, <laughs> it, it, it's a different it's a different city, but it's inside Arlington, so it's like an enclave. But uh, anyways, back to this uh, Sauvignon Blanc. I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about the Central Coast, California, and Sauvignon Blanc. Uh, so Central Coast, California is not really well known for Sauvignon Blanc. What they're really well known for is Chardonnay. And one of the things I thought was interesting about what I read was that a lot of the people who grow Sauvignon Blanc, because it's a little bit less fickle than Sauv- uh, than Chardonnay, uh, at least in that part of the world, is that uh, a lot of people will treat the Sauvignon Blanc the way that they treat sa- uh, Chardonnay. And so they do tend to be fuller-bodied, heavier wines because of the method that they use to process it into wine now they're not oaking this obviously but uh it does tend to have that sort of heavier touch and so that's kind of one of the things that that stuck with me mentally is that this does to me taste heavier it tastes like it uh it tastes like overripe pineapple that's the flavor that i've been kind of putting forward and that's juxtaposed to the um, Marlboro or uh, the New Zealand. What is that Marlboro? Am I getting the region
1: wrong?
3: I I think you're right.
0: Yeah. Am I right? Okay. Cause I couldn't remember if that was correct or not, but um, the, the one in New Zealand seemed incredibly crisp and clean This one seems heavier and much more along the lines of what I expect from Chardonnay. So as like a Chardonnay, this would seem actually like an overly crisp Chardonnay. Um, But then again, Mason, you and I have talked about this a lot, is you and I are not particularly big Chardonnay fans. Mm -hmm. Um, This to me seems more along those lines, like a crisper Chardonnay. Uh Billy, what do you what uh, do you have a lot of experience with uh Chardonnay from Central California?
3: Um yeah, just Chardonnay in general, yeah. A lot of Chardonnay and Sauvignon Blanc. Um okay. I would say me and my wife's preference are more oak bomb Chardonnays and I know like people bash Chardonnay all the time. There's a lot of, oh, I never drink Chardonnay. And then if you talk about oak Chardonnay, that's even worse. But then it's like, but my wife and I, we have the palette for uh, for oak Chardonnay for some reason. I I'm really not really that big of a fan of you know stainless steel unoaked Chardonnay. I just think it's like too sour apple, and all the unoaked Chardonnay that I've had generally has been just kind of that kind of boring notes. Um, whereas I like the oak characteristics, especially if I'm eating with it especially something buttery or creamy it just enhances that creaminess in the wine which i i enjoy
0: was it and that's very interesting to me because for sauvignon blanc and, and it may be just like an expectation thing that like i set for myself ahead of time for sauvignon blanc i expect that crisp clean citrusy flavor but for a chardonnay and it's i think largely because this is what i'm exposed to a dry oaked Chardonnay. I really appreciate that buttery bomb, like that really creamy bar- buttery flavor. I like that when it's yep. when that's what I expect. When it's not what I expect, <laughs> yeah. Th- and I I really think I, I must be like the perfect target for advertising propaganda or something. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> like I really do like when it's when it's not what I want. I am very much against it. And when it's what I expect, then I'm like, yes, this is perfect. So like I think I, I think I'm really the the perfect specimen for the <laughs> for the, the for the advertisement because I agree with you. I think that an oaky Chardonnay, which I don't drink a lot of, but I've had enough of it in the recent past. And Mason, you and I have, have talked about this before. It's like you and I are just not really white Chardonnay oaky Chardonnay people in general um but lately i've been i've been having more of this kind of oaky buttery kind of creamy chardonnay and I, and i appreciate it a lot more than i used to especially like you said with food um with food i think it's great and then i try this and i'm like okay it is it is all of the things that, that regular chardonnay or actually i shouldn't say regular chardonnay that california style chardonnay is not which is that oaky buttery um, creaminess or whatever. This is all of the all of the opposite, but it does have this one particular overripe flavor that I associate more with that than this. And immediately, I'm like, nah, "That's not what I want." And so it kind of goes off in this other category. Uh, Mason, what about you? Like with with Oaky Chardonnays, you don't you don't really drink a lot of that either. Um, uh, the, is your wife a fan of that?
2: Uh, she's She's not necessarily like a super big fan of it. Like you I mean, she's really is like a Riesling person. Okay. So but she's also got like uh like a magnum of red uh, of barefoots, like red musc like sweet Moscato or something like that. So um but like I don't like I like I'm a huge fan of butter like actual butter and will butter the bejeeze out of anything. Um, so for me, like I don't dislike the buttery ones and I also don't dislike the like super oaky ones. I just don't really go out of my way to drink Chardonnay. Cause it's like, it's such a, it, you know, the price point can be so weird and that's what drives me nuts about it is it's like, okay, this one was really good and it was, you know, fifteen dollars, and this one was awful, and it was thirty. I have no idea how to like price it.
0: Yeah, I, that that makes sense. Is you know, you and I might sh- we should probably do a, a series on. Chardonnay and kind of do a focus on the difference between oaked and unoaked. Mm-hmm. Because we've done it once in a while, and like I was shocked a couple of times when I ordered from Last Bottle Wines, which you can save ten dollars uh off your first order if you go to tastinganarchy.com and use our link. It also helps us because we get a nice kickback. Um, but uh, I ordered a Chardonnay from there and it was very different than what I expected. So my general expectation is that it's going to be oaked, like what Billy was talking about, this oaked, buttery, heavy uh, Chardonnay or white wine. Um, and what I ended up getting was very different, very crisp, clean, citrusy. And it turned out, after I did a little bit of research on it, because I was you know, thoroughly shocked. And as a um, – although, Mason, you and I have been doing the show for close to three years now um actually more than 3 years now i think
1: mm-hmm. uh
0: i was i was sort of shocked by it because i, I was like well this is not what i expected off from chardonnay and it was that sauvignon blanc taste that i quite enjoy and this was this was a while ago so i've i've kind of my palate has developed a little bit but um especially when it comes to like pairing with food and stuff like that but i i do recall thinking This is not what I expected and and it it definitely accentuates the treatment of the grape. So when it comes to um, Sauvignon Blanc, one of the things that's interesting about it is it does matter how the grapes are treated. And in Central California, and that's what I was talking about earlier, is that with Central California, a lot of times they're going to treat the grapes like they treat Chardonnay. And that's not necessarily what Sauvignon Blanc needs. They're not going to oak it, but they're going to do the rest of the treatment like Chardonnay, and they'll put it into the stainless steel, or they'll put it into concrete, and you'll get this more crisper, citrusy uh, white wine, which a lot of people really like, and and I like it a lot. But they're not doing it the same way that they do with uh, Sauvignon Blanc in Marlboro, for example, or different parts of France where they're, where it's uh, crisper, cleaner. They're not allowing as much fermentation. The alcohol level is a little bit lower. And you get a lot more of that lime, lemon, grapefruit flavor, a little bit less of those tropical fruit flavors. And we actually, earlier in this, we had a uh, Sauvignon Blanc from, I think it was, uh, was it uh, Columbia Valley? Is, that, is it, Am I wrong?
2: Yeah, I think it was Columbia
0: Valley. Okay. So we had it from Columbia Valley. It did have a lot of those kind of soury, more lemon limey flavors. And then we had New Zealand, which was much more on the crisp lemon limey flavors, uh, which I, I, I really enjoy those, especially when I'm looking at a Sauvignon Blanc. Um, but one of the things that this particular wine taught me was not to expect that at all at all times. And one of the articles that I have is, uh, it's from uh, Wine Enthusiast Magazine, and it's basically going through uh, what is going on with Sauvignon Blanc in the the Central California place, in particular um, where we're talking about Monterey. And uh, so what they're talking about in this article is that traditionally Sauvignon Blanc is a filler grape for them. They can mix it with other stuff. It's, it's kind of a filler grape. They don't really care that much about it. But there's a, is a couple of winemakers who have kind of moved into the area and they they think that that Sauvignon Blanc is going to be a big outstanding grape for Central California. And if you look at the map for what Central California is, it's a lot more further, it's a lot further south than what I expected. So uh for both for Billy let's go to new Billy first. Billy, where is central California to you?
3: Uh across the entire United States? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, um I think like Los Angeles like uh Napa Valley, Sonoma. Okay. I think I don't know where where are you thinking Okay, when well you I think mean, Central. It's-
0: well this is what was interesting to me because I, I kind of thought similar to what you were thinking between Sonoma and Los Angeles. Mason, what do you think?
2: So it's Central Coast, California?
0: Is that the Yeah, Central Coast. Central Coast.
2: I mean, like so I, I would put it like just south of the Bay Area. Kinda in that uh that area.
0: Yeah, I mean so you're actually a little bit closer, I think, than, uh, Billy and me is, is it's, it's basically Monterey is the most Northern part of central coast and Monterey is pretty far South of San Francisco. Mm. So, um, and I, and so they're, they're saying that it's, uh, Monterey to about, about, uh, about Santa Marina. So, it's 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 a very large section of california but it's just not what i thought it's about um let's see what what is uh monterey to california let's or or monterey to to california to san francisco so to san francisco it's about 113 miles and then from Santa Maria to let's see S- Santa Maria to LA Santa Maria. And then we'll go ahead and do directions to Los Angeles. So, yeah, so it's another, another 160 miles. So, I mean, people always forget how big California is and me being from California, I always forget how big California is too, because these are like, these distances to me are kind of like, Oh yeah. Yeah. That's just how you drive or whatever, like whatever. And, and now I live in Texas. So like these, these long distances to me in Texas are also kind of like, Oh yeah, that's just what you do. But, uh, yeah, I mean, these are, these, this is a huge section of California that is very different than the rest of California. It is warmer further South than, um, Napa and Sonoma and, uh, Napa and Sonoma are what California is very well known for with wine. But Monterey, you know, Mason, you and I did a Pinot Grigio from Monterey. Uh, It does have those kind of cool diurnal temperatures and stuff like that. And so you have this very wide swath of central California. And so a lot of winemakers are starting to move into that part of California and go, hey, what everybody thinks about California is not necessarily bad, but it, it's not correct. We have a very different uh, environment here. We have a very different way of growing it. We have a ton of microclimates. I mean, this is a huge area. And uh, so they're producing a lot of different things. So they're they're going to start doing, and and they have a couple of examples in this article. I don't really want to go through them because we haven't tasted them. And so Um, I don't really want to like promote them and until (laughs) we had an opportunity to like taste them, but they're saying we're going to stop doing the Chardonnay treatment. We're going to start doing the Sauvignon Blanc treatment and we're going to be producing world-class Sauvignon Blanc from this in the Bordeaux style, which is that crisper, cleaner, citrusy flavor. It, And they've never done it, that oaky flavor, what, Billy, you were saying you liked, but they are going away from that treatment, and they're going into a different treatment of this. And that kind of oaky treatment is more of a northern style, something that Napa and Sonoma can do maybe and Oregon can do, but Monterey really just doesn't have the climate for it, and they can do a different style. So that I thought that was kind of an interesting article. What do you guys think about that?
3: So one thing that you were mentioning before about New Zealand being different than California about 2 weeks ago, I had a uh Sauvignon Blanc from Marlborough, New Zealand and I noted that it it was uh, had a lot of tropical fruit notes and like kiwi and it was not as light body as normal um, Savion Blanc is. It was it was kind of light to medium, so it was c- kind of similar to what you're talking about with uh, the one that you're trying tonight. Although it mm-hmm. wasn't a, it wasn't a pineapple bomb, but it did have a lot of tropical notes to it. And I think a lot of areas of the world try to copy uh, California in a lot of ways um, when they shouldn't. <laughs> and, right, and this right. this is a pretty big uh you know winery out of new zealand rose creek um and and i and i know even some of the old world wines uh wineries are starting to i
0: think i i think we lost uh billy there lost yeah seems like we did
3: can you hear me now
0: yeah, we
2: yep, can.
3: I can we okay, there you now. There we go. <laughs> okay, and i th- I was saying that I think since a lot of the world is shipping to U.S. markets, they're tailoring pallets to kind of that California style, and so I think that's what happened with this New Zealand winery is they were kind of going with that, um, kind of what you're tasting tonight. Yeah, as, as with- far as tropical notes and mm-hmm. and all that.
0: Well, that's that's super interesting because uh, what one of the things I wanted to get into for our next article is about um, after 2020 what people are going to expect. But I wanted to kind of Mason, do you have anything else you want to talk about this particular wine or anything you wanted to respond to Billy on? No, I I like I'm good
2: on the wine and like I think it's an interesting concept like that was kind of discussed in the article and. Mm-hmm. I'd be interested in trying it. And you know, this is one of those wine varieties that of white that you like more, than, more than I do. So it's oh, one okay. of those ones. Like I don't dislike it, but like I would go with a Riesling or like a something else first, like a Grigio. Right. But th- those are my go-to wine. So yeah. I don't dislike it. It's just not my normal kind of pick.
0: Well, and I do always find that very interesting, and I think that makes it a it makes it good for the listeners as well, where you and I have uh, a different palate when it comes to a lot of wines, not just white wine, but just a lot of wines in general, and um, I think that kind of is accentuates the concept that wine is subjective value, very mm-hmm. Misesian, it's uh it, it does it it really does matter what your palate's like, what you're eating with it, what you're what's going on in your life even to some degree mm-hmm. is is it just it really depends on what's going on, and that's really what you're going to like or dislike. I mean there's also uh the sort of uh sensory memory involved in a lot of these where you know, and and I get this a lot, where if a wine reminds me of something from my childhood, or if a wine reminds me of something from the first time I tried it, it's it's a much more attractive wine. And I get this with Freak Show a lot, is because it was one of the first ones you and I did together, mm-hmm. Freak Show. I don't really think of it as a very clean wine or a particularly uh, high class wine. It's,
3: it's good, good though; I like it. It is good.
0: It, it, it's, it's good. It's also – it's inexpensive, and it also reminds me a lot of just good times. It's just a good wine. It's just good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I, I have no other way of describing it. It's just, it's just good. So I didn't get any of that sort of thing from this particular one, but I do get that sort of same vibe from some of the ones that we've tried before. And and I do think a lot of it is that sensory memory that I have because when I first got into wine, because you remember when you and I, Mason, we first met, I didn't like wine at all. Mm-hmm. And then over time, I started liking it a little bit. And the very, very first wine, I still have the note in my G drive for it. Uh, the very first note I ever made for wine was Sauvignon Blanc. <laughs> and and I wrote, this is good. <laughs> And and that was the only thing I ever said about it, <laughs> but but it was because I went to one of those like wine fairs down there. Uh, it was actually the wine fair down in um, uh, Pungo. Uh, Billy, you know where Pungo is, right?
3: Yeah, I just was at Pungo to get a uh, table off of Craigslist the other day.
0: Nice. Right? Oh, right there. on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there there was a big there was a big wine festival down there in Pungo that I went to, and that was the first time I had ever like made a consideration that wine was something I wanted to try and it was at this particular wine festival everything i like everything i tried there i thought was awful except for this one sauvignon blanc and that was the that was like the stepping stone for me where i was like you know what not all wine is bad i'm willing to try some and then it was and then it was uh <laughs> Mason you and i've done a, an episode on this it was um Chateau Le Cabon Blackberry Wine. Yes. Which uh I'm not as enthused about as I used to be, but like <laughs> that blackberry wine was a uh, uh one that kind of went on. But so this kind of tells the listeners if you're not really a wine fan, it, it's it's not that wine necessarily is bad, it's that you have not found the one that's for you. Mm-hmm. And also there is a level of introductory palate. So you know, everybody think about that a little bit. Uh, Billy, what was your first your first wine that you liked? Do you, do you remember? Uh,
3: so I remember shortly after I turned 21 in college, um, a few friends and I, we had a like wine and cheese party. And that was kind of my first introduction to trying different wines. And I remember overall, I didn't enjoy any of it really that much. I was like, this, I mean, I was used to, you know, Mountain Dews and, you know, that kind of drinks in college, and um, it was my senior year, I took a geography of wine class that uh, um, we learned all about the wine regions, we learned all about how wine is made, also beer and liquor too, but um, just really started to get appreciation for it and then we had assignments where we had to like go visit wineries do tastings at wineries for points and stuff like that and uh write about wines and it was through that class that like learning about the wine and getting appreciation for the terroir and like how it's made kind of opened up like what it really means to drink and taste wine. Like and I can't remember like the first wine that I tried that I was like, wow, I really enjoy this. But I do remember the more I was learning about wine, the more I enjoyed how it tasted. And nothing changed about like my palate. It was just my brain. Like yeah. I don't know what it was about like learning about the product and getting an appreciation for it made me enjoy it more
0: yeah it's it's super interesting how that kind of works especially for certain types of people because that's kind of how I am too is that I think my palate did evolve to some degree but it was also just the understanding of what's going on really made me appreciate it a lot more
3: and I know that from uh like when I first started liking wines I I liked kind of the the fruit, bomb malbecs and like that kind of stuff. And now it's kind of evolved to where my palate likes the really earthy kind of old world bordeaux like give me like dirt and leaves and that thing. And <laughs> yeah. as complex and as many layers as you can fit in that in in the palate is the better. Like I don't like one dimensional wines. To me now it's more about how much can I get out of that sip.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I I kind of feel the same. Although I do still enjoy the kind of the fruit bombs, but I also a lot a lot more. Um, I appreciate the the more complexity a lot more than I used to, I guess. Uh, and and I think a lot of that too is my wife. Is she she's much more of a, a complex wine drinker than I am. She's very much more much more picky than I am, but. Uh, and so we we end up getting stuff where like I'll pour one and I'm like oh this is one's really good and she'll sip it and she'll be like nope and I'll be like oh well, <laughs> I guess it's not that good <laughs> so but yeah what about you Mason how's your palate evolved since we've been doing the show?
2: so like I drink a lot more red wine than I used to um you know I used to pretty much only drink white wine and would you know, like, Oh, it, you know, my classic, like you're, you know, you're giving all these notes and you're like, Oh, and the cherry and the, the red fruit. And I'm like, tastes like red wine. <laughs> like, <just> <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> very, very like limited, like tasting. in it. And it wasn't like I, you know, I didn't intentionally like try to not taste it or anything like that. It's just, it, I didn't taste it as much. So I still like the big red fruit bombs and stuff like that. Um, but like, yeah, I, I drink a lot more red wine than I used to. Well,
3: so that's kind of a speak. big,
2: a big change, but like also, you know, we've been on this kick of, you know, white wines from Kroger. So like that's I haven't true. Yeah. gotten like as many reds and now like my current boss, your former boss did give me that, uh, uh, Cabernet Sauv um, yeah. from Bell that I opened. It was good and it's good. Um, But, you know, it's, it's a lot more dry than I thought it was going to be. But I'm also, you know, like I, I don't, I don't have the immediate like, oh, it's this, this, and this. So I know these, like you do, like where you're like, oh, it's from here. So I should see this and this with Kavsov. And I'm usually kind of like, it tastes like Kavsov. Yay, I didn't get burned.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) Yeah, yeah well I mean, that that makes sense. I mean like that, that's, that's your, I, I mean that's kind of how wine is in general is that it just a, kind of depends on where where you're where you are and also there's there's a price point um kind of a price point pain or incentive that a lot of people don't think about and the article I wanted to kind of get into next was uh, about 2020 predictions. So uh, 2020 has been a particularly bad year for everything. <laughs> and uh, wine in particular has had has really suffered. But there's been some kind of bright notes to it too. And so I kind of thought maybe before we got into the article uh, – we could kind of go over what the articles predictions were and then just kind of both Billy, if, if you have any sort of ideas or, or thoughts, I don't know how much you've been thinking about how COVID has affected the wine and and alcohol industry in general. Um, but if you guys have any sort of thoughts on that Mason, you and I've talked a little bit about it. So let's go ahead and let Billy go first. And, uh, unless he wants to let you go first and then.
3: (laughs) So I think we should clarify that it, Probably isn't COVID that's affecting it as much as the government's response yes, yeah. to COVID <laughs> right. that's affecting it's, everything. Yeah, but, that's um, a very,
0: very, very good clarification. It's it's, the lock, <laughs> it's it's the lockdowns that have really been impacting this. It's, it so doesn't have anything to do with COVID. I
3: haven't I haven't been following the wine industry very closely regarding this. Is it mostly like because I assume that a lot of the wine industry relies on. Restaurants is that what's really driving a lot of the hurt?
0: That is a huge percentage of it. It's also like weird. It's weird things that um, we had covered before 2020 that uh, have kind of now manifested, and that is uh, Trump tariffs. So, yeah. uh, so there's a lot of weird stuff going on. So it's it's a combination of Trump putting tariffs on European wines plus restaurant sales dropping off a cliff
3: okay so yeah it's hard to predict i don't know if you guys are um what your guys thoughts are If like you know biden's for sure gonna be who's installed if uh trump's gonna concede or if there's a chance that we have secessions i don't i have absolutely no idea what's in store for the state of the united states in the next few months honestly. Like I try to follow some of that, but um no matter what your opinions are, I think anything can happen. Mm-hmm. Um, it
0: it is very it's a very wild west kind of unusual time right now. I I mean I, I know Mason and I talk a lot about this just through text and stuff like that. Uh I I am of the opinion that not, not much is going to change. It's going to transition to a Biden administration. He'll be tied up in lawsuits for the next four years, and it'll mostly be – or or he'll resign, and then it'll be a Kamala administration. But there'll be lawsuits for the next four years, similar to the way the Trump administration was, and then um, we'll transition into uh, the next election, which will also be contentious. But uh, I do think that maybe – not necessarily now but long term this will result in secession of multiple states you know texas the state i'm from has uh we have a couple of legislators who have put forward the proposition that texas withdraws from the li- from from the union and texas is the only state that actually has that as part of their uh contract i guess to join the united states so texas could theoretically withdraw and it would not impact anything but uh i'm sure they won't let us anybody go but uh yeah so the 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 biggest change that i see with the biden administration if they come in with no sort of uh, problems is that they will change the tariff situation but what's interesting about The Trump tariff situation is it had the impacts that the Trump administration expected, which is a decrease in consumption of European wines, but it had a sort of counter uh, projection, which was that it it increased the percentage of wines shipped to the United States from Europe that were under 14% ABV. So there's a so the tariffs were on particular wines and particularly alcohol volumes. It is a really unusual situation. Um, But again, the restaurant situation is also a huge, uh, I guess, detriment to 2020, and that is that most states had lockdowns. Most states did not allow full capacity restaurant, um, restaurant. Attendance. What I don't know what the word is, but uh, most states were not allowing people to eat food in restaurants. So there was a huge decrease in wine consumption in restaurants, which means that most restaurants are at a higher capacity of unconsumed wine than they were previously. And a lot of these restaurants are also going out of business. So they have these higher price wines that are now going to liquidation. Um, there is a, there's the, uh, let's see, this article says that about 25% of U S restaurants will not survive their, the pandemic. So we have about 25% of restaurants that, um, may or may not have wine, uh, as a offered beverage, uh, going out of business. This is going to be wine that is liquidated. We also have Trump, uh, tariffs, which have Decrease European wine imports, except for wine over fourteen uh, percent. So there's there's a lot of weird stuff going on right now. It's really hard to predict. The article is basically saying, uh, if I was to summarize the article in one sense, is we have no idea what's going on. There's, <laughs> a, there's it's crazy right now. We don't know. We have no idea. But it it is. It's it's that. St- Wine that's under 14% has gone down dramatically in price. Wine over 14% has gone up dramatically in price. The import market has gone up crazy. But the, the domestic uh, wine has also had issues because of the fires in California, the fires in Oregon, the fires in mm-hmm. Washington. Everything has yeah. gone crazy right now. So there's just this whole weird nobody knows what to expect. So but in
3: general like lower ABV typically means better quality especially if you're talking old world and where that, we're yeah, importing exactly.
0: from. Yeah, that's so. no, that's
3: true. That's true. <laughs>
0: well, and that and that was the one thing that they said was kind of odd about it is that um they here I'll quote it real quick from the article it says uh there is one weird consequence though it can't be canceled Unintended, it says, so it can't be canceled, or it can't be. Yeah, I'm I'm reading this wrong, but it says there's one weird consequence. The the, the way this article is phrased is complicated, but I'll go ahead and read it. There is one weird consequence, though it can't be canceled. Unintended, one category that is doing very well is import imported wine, more than 14 percent alcohol. So we are importing wine from France and and Europe in general, but it's their shit wine because they consider that yep. over 40. <laughs> they consider that bad wine.
1: <laughs> They're like,
0: what's going on? Here? <laughs> well, like yep. it's a bizarre situation. So. It's it's so hard to tell what's going on, but Mason, do you have any predictions for 2021, like what's going on? Like I mean, obviously right now, we don't really know what's going on. Um, to me, it seems like Biden will be president, although we do have a lot of weird court cases going on right now. The, the Texas court case was just recently thrown out by the Supreme Court, uh, so it does seem like right now there's really no path to a Trump victory. It's going to be Biden. Well, given that constriction, what do you think?
2: Well, I was gonna say there are uh, so if any of the state electors fail to certify, there's some weird stuff that can go on. So, like I saw a 4D article like a long time ago, um, and it was kind of like people before the lawsuits and like Texas and everything like that. They were kind of talking about like throwing the weight behind, like you know, like say like Michigan, somehow one of its electors fails to certify, like that'll like just cause like untold chaos. So this is one of those things where like, I don't know if Trump really wants to be president still at this point. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think he wants to lose, but like, I think he'd be just as happy not being president, assuming that he knew that they weren't going to like put him in jail for some thing he didn't actually do. Um, so like, yeah, I, I I have a feeling that either, either next year is going to be like the least eventful year you can imagine where it's like Joe Biden never comes out. So you never hear anything from him. Kamala Harris. It, it's like Pence. You never hear anything from Pence. Right. Like right. when Biden was vice president, he was all over the place. So like, I have a feeling like, Either, either they're going to move very quickly on getting him out, if that's their plan, or they're going to give him a year to kind of take all the blows, do all that stuff. So like Harris can come in squeaky clean. It's like, oh, like, you know, she's taking over. He's a lunatic. like <laughs> Right. But yeah, so like, I, I have a feeling that the tariffs aren't going away. I don't think anybody's going to do any snapback like, hey, let's pretend Trump didn't happen because I don't think anybody in the foreign like region really goes and looks at like the U S election and is like, yeah, they picked Biden, you know, like I I don't think anybody believes in the foreign governments that like Biden was the real winner. And I think they're kind of like, yeah, we can't really cozy up to Biden because they're just going to snap back on this guy. (laughs) Like, right. So I, I, yeah, I don't see like tariffs going away. I don't see them. You know how it is. Policy never goes away. It's not like they're going to be like, look, look, everything's going back to exactly the way it was when the day Obama left office. Like tax rates, everything. You know, they're they're it's cats out of the bag.
0: So so for for the wine uh, market and alcohol in general, because we did discuss this also was that um, we we had increased tariffs on the EU, but decreased tariffs on the UK. Mm -hmm. uh, Do you see that there, that maybe we'll see, and and a lot of this too is just kind of a a speculation, but also, you know, prices do drive people and you and I are more wine and beer people. But uh, as far as liquor goes, a lot of the UK imports are liquor, Mm
3: -hmm. but
0: also, what's interesting about the trump tariffs is that they excluded places like italy so do you have any sort of prediction on what's going to be more affordable to us uh in the near future from like places like italy uh i don't i don't really and i don't really expect you to have like a huge amount of knowledge on this but uh the according to this article um places well basically it was mostly france was where they had Uh, a lot of the issues but places like uh types of wine like prosecco and and other types of italian reds uh super tuscans uh borello um just regular tuscans and things like that um wines from etna uh that's uh sicily for people who uh are are not really following as closely um those Wines actually had a much larger increase in imports in the United States. And it's really, it's just a price point. It's not, it doesn't really seem like those wines have increased in popularity necessarily, but they have increased in availability because of price. Uh, Do you have any sort of, uh, there's there's my dog Foxy making noises. (laughs) Uh, Do you have any ideas like, I've actually since the Trump administration, and I don't know if this is because of import uh, tariffs or anything. I've been introduced a lot more to Sicilian wines. Um, Do you have any idea that? Well, I I don't. I don't know. I'll let you. I'll let you expand on it. No. What do you think about Italian wines?
2: (laughs) That's the thing. Is like I so infrequently like you know like I had that. wine group on my parents gave me that I, you know, spent a bunch of time drinking through. Um, I really haven't gone out and explored like how the wine market has changed from a foreign perspective. Cause like you get a lot of, you know, you got, you got most of the stuff from last bottle wines. I usually would get stuff at like Kroger and I would get like a Spanish red wine, you know, to get a Tempranillo or, or something like that. So I didn't spend a lot of time, kind of exploring those other things. So
0: yeah. Okay. What about you what about you, Billy? In the last year or so, have you have you seen yourself drinking more uh, Italian wines over French, or are you just more more of a Euro a domestic wine drinker in general? So nothing's really changed for you.
3: So I'm definitely favored the old world wines and we have been doing some Italians this past year. Uh Grenache. Or I don't know if you pronounce it with the E or Grenache. Um, yeah. Been having some of that. Uh, we, we've been delving into some Chianti and you know Tempranillo as well from a few of the different regions. I remember early this year, probably around January or February, when like COVID was hitting Italy really bad. We were doing a live stream on our, uh, Cork and Java Facebook page. And, um, we were mentioning like, like to you guys in Italy, like be safe and hunkered down. Like we don't know what's going on. And little did we know it was going to be like worldwide pandemonium, like even <laughs> in the U S at that point. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, so has driving- it been a pri-
0: has it been a price point thing to you or is it just like this happens to be when you're trying Italian?
3: I think it more just happens to be when we're trying Italian because we've, we've have gotten a few Bordeaux and French wines and other European wines uh, this year as well. And I haven't really, uh, we're not like huge like wine collectors or anything. We're not buying large quantities or cases. We just buy single bottles like here and there. So we're not super price conscious about like, oh, this is $4 higher than it normally is. Like we're not really thinking about that too much. It's like, oh, this is something that we wanted to try and we're just going to pick it up. And so I don't know if the that hasn't really factored into what we buy, but I know that does factor into the market as a whole
0: hmm Right, right. Well that, and that's kind of that's you know, I've run into that a lot too, is where and 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 maybe it's like a like a Misesian like Austrian person or whatever, somebody who listened to Tom Woods a lot, is I will go to the store a lot and I'll be like, Oh, I'm gonna buy this and then I'll look at it and I'll be like, Why is the price of this versus this other one that's two dollars higher? And I'll be like, eh, why why do I want this one over this one, and and like I will second guess myself, trying to go like, well, why is one more expensive? And I and I know most consumers are not thinking that. Most consumers are just like, I want a twelve dollar white wine that goes well with spaghetti or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, for me, that's just not that's not the way I think the, the way I think is. I want a particular style or or uh, country. And well, it's usually style and country. I want a particular place where this is from. And I want this style. And I want it to be X number of dollars. And that's what I'll get. And then um, that is is what I get. But a lot of times it's like, I could have the Italian or I could have the French and the Italian is $2 less. Why did I choose the French or the Italian? <laughs> so it's, it's kind of one of those weird things is like, I think as, and Billy, you're this way a little bit too, because I think we met through uh libertarian stuff. Um, You do kind of take into cognition a little bit, the, the price mechanism and and you may not be as like uh discern like discerning in on that record as I am because a lot of times and and honestly I'm not that discerning on it is usually I I do still go with whatever I want but I do try to take a step back and kind of go why do I want this versus this other one and what is the price stuff going in and that and it ties into a lot to the show too because just like this article where it talks about the predictions for 2020 is all through 2020 I'm going to go what is still left of the trump tariffs what is changing versus the biden tariffs why is you know x from california not being sold to china because you know china had these huge increases in production in, in california for their chinese pallets and and so on and so forth like that's kind of my mindset and i think maybe it's like this sort of uh, libertarian paranoid mindset to some degree <laughs> but uh, I don't know if you have any of that, Billy, or not. Like that—that's kind of my mindset when it comes to buying stuff. Is I do usually, ultimately, I just go for what I want. But do you have any sort of like? Do you ever think about that kind of thing?
3: All the time, but usually not with wine, <laughs> for whatever <Okay>. reason. Um,
0: <laughs> right on. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, I mean, I, I I find myself at the grocery store, like looking at a wine from California and a wine from Italy and going like, is, are they forcing me to buy this one from California? <laughs> but,
3: but, but this goes with anything grocery related for me. Like if my wife has me go to the grocery store to get groceries, I'll come back with a bill twice as high as she will for the same list. Like, cause she knows like the right things to buy at the right price. And I just like, Oh, that's on the list. I'm going to buy it. I don't even look at the price. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah it's like, I, Oh, I didn't know I was not supposed to get the generic thing.
0: Well, that, that's actually a really good point because we have that in my household as well. I do most of the shopping and most of the cooking, but when Victoria comes with me to do the shopping, a lot of times we have a better, a better deal. Uh and, and a lot of times it's higher quality too, because she's she's usually looking for organic or something like that. And I'm most of the time just like, oh, here's romaine lettuce, throw it in the cart. But like <laughs> she's like, Oh, here's romaine lettuce, but this one's organic, this one's not. And then this other organic one's on sale. So uh that and that's just kind of I think I think that's a husband's dilemma in general. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's everything I've got for this episode. Mason, what do you got? You got anything else?
2: No. Uh, you can follow us tastinganarchy.com, tastinganarchy on Twitter. You can follow us on uh good lord, we have a Facebook page, Reddit page, um taste or go to com. I'm assuming it's up, but probably not. Um, it's our annual event in Texas. It'll be the 29th through the 31st at Mule Shoe, Mule Shoe Bend Recreational Area in mm-hmm. Texas in 2021. We don't give a damn about lockdowns because it's Texas. That's um,
0: true. And, and, and uh, let, yeah. me, let me add this real quick. Nobody from Childeberg Dose has tested positive for COVID so mm-hmm. far. You can't argue with that science. Exactly. (laughs) It's science. (laughs) It is. (laughs) So uh, also the winery that we visit at, uh, we'll we'll be visiting there at Childeberg 3, as well as Childeberg Dose, is Spicewood Vineyards. Uh, They have a nice uh, vineyard down the street, well, down the dirt gravel path from from, um, Iron Wolf Distillery. So if you are interested in coming and trying wine, you can come to Childeberg 3, and we will go to Spicewood Vineyards and we will have we actually had a really good rose there that I thought was quite enjoyable. Um so uh that's just something people can join us on. So check us out at Childeberg on Twitter, at Tasting Anarchy on Twitter, or at Childeberg, or at no, I'm I'm saying this wrong. Tastinganarchy.com or Twitter.com. Mm -hmm. So um, we'll go ahead and leave the rest for Billy. Billy, go ahead and do your plugs.
3: All right. We're at corkandjava.com. Also, you'll probably want to follow us on YouTube at Cork and Java there. That's where we post most of our content. And uh, we also got a Facebook group, which is Cork and Java. Uh, We're here to expand and enrich your experience with all of your favorite beverages through wine and also coffee and other beverage reviews and how-tos. So that's kind of what we're all about. So yeah, Mm -hmm. Cork and Java, find us on YouTube.
0: One of the things I enjoy most about your guys' show is that you teach us how to use different items that are related to either coffee or alcoholic drinks. Um, the coffee, the coffee ones. You had a recent one with a um, was it an espresso machine? I think it was.
3: Yeah, my uh, brother and sister-in-law just got a a really nice entry-level pro consumer or uh, prosumer uh, espresso machine. That's great, especially if you don't have a high-quality grinder. It's got one built in that we we kind of did a first impression review of, and I was really surprised with the quality of that also my home espresso machine is not really a machine it's also it's a manual lever action one it's called the flare pro 2 and i do a review as of that as well it's pretty pretty much my uh daily driver right now i've been using that pretty much every day making uh, americanos on it pretty awesome mason
0: is a meet me that's right mason is a huge uh fan of Coffee. I know he has an espresso machine too, so I think he'll be Mm -hmm. interested in that. So, and and I know a lot of our listeners too are are big coffee drinkers. I'm not necessarily a big coffee drinker, although I do drink uh, cold brew quite a bit. So, uh, check out that channel. I've I've actually gained a lot from uh, their equipment stuff because my wife is a big coffee drinker, and I always am trying to keep her flush with coffee. So, uh, coffee, alcohol beverages and different types of gadgets it's a great place to learn more information so that's it i um i guess we'll go ahead and say stay free free and billy you can say stay free Mm -hmm. there we go
1: All (laughs) all right